WWDC 2023, we have enough to talk about for maybe two episodes, I'd say. <laughs> or the entire summer. <laughs> or, or the entire summer, yeah. Um, so today we're going to discuss the uh, new Mac hardware as well as uh, Mac OS 14, iOS 17, tvOS 17, iPadOS 17, watchOS 10, and... Some home and health stuff, ming to ming good. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, and then next week we'll dedicate the whole episode to Apple Vision Pro and Vision OS. Do you know if Vision OS has a version number? Uh, I haven't seen it, but I assume it's one because well, otherwise it'd be a bit silly. Well, you know they they they've been silly before. <laughs> that is true. That is true. The thing but, is, in obviously the name decision was done quite late because if you look at like, all the WWC sessions, they all say XROS in them. Yeah. So yeah. the switch to Vision OS obviously came late in the game. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So let's go in event chronological order, starting with uh, how, how did it begin? How did this keynote begin? So they had this like advert with this like bubble, I guess. Like the man kind of walked around with a, in a bubble. I was like, oh, kind of neat. It was a bit odd, but whatever. And then Tim Cook comes out and he says, we are. Um, going to show off the future of our incredible software platforms as well as introducing some exciting new products. So going in, everybody knew that the headset was on deck, uh, but they they made us wait till the end because they started with Mac hardware. Uh, John Turner's comes out and they run straight into it uh, with the 15-inch MacBook Air, which is, to all intents and purposes, identical to the 13-inch MacBook Air Apart from the screen being bigger, although that's not slight true because there are some minor differences, but in in principle, it's, it's a 15 inch version of the like spec up. It's like the higher spec up version of the 13 inch that you can configure. Um, you've got more speakers, no speaker grills on either side of the keyboard, which I like a lot because every larger than 13 inch, larger than 14 inch uh, MacBook that Apple's done in, in the last several years has had the speaker grill show on 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 the size of the keyboards. Even even if it comes from somewhere else, it's like they just show it. They just show those there, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it looks clean not to have those. It's just just blank space. Yeah, the grills are now almost like a pro feature. Like what makes him have a pro? It's got grills on the side. <laughs> it's just a weird, <laughs> yeah. a weird, weird characteristic. But I know obviously the the thirteen inch MacBook Air is much beloved and got you know a lot of praise. Um, but I do know that one of the criticisms that people said is that the speakers weren't the best ever. Um, so maybe this going up from four speakers to six speakers in 15 inch will make a difference. But if you haven't got the grills, that that might mitigate it in the negative direction as well, right? Because there's just less ways for the, the sound to escape. So that would definitely be something that uh, we have to look out for in the reviews. Uh, they call it the 15 inch MacBook Air, but it's actually 15.3 inches diagonal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's five millimeter borders, seems to be basically the same as that MacBook Air display, five inch in its brightness, HDR, etc., etc. Uh, it is 11.5 millimeters thin, which is, according to Apple, the world's thinnest 15-inch laptop, uh, which I'll happily accept because the MacBook Air itself is very, very thin, and most 15-inch laptops that exist target higher performance profiles, right? Like, like, like Apple has done before. <laughs> like, exactly, like what Apple has done before, exactly. And the Windows market kind of follows the same way. Um, so this is really what this sets this thing apart, and it's something that you, I know, have been long um requesting right we spoke about this what five years ago if not longer that yeah. you just wanted a macbook air that's 15 inches and they've basically delivered to me yeah to me the appeal for a long time has been that 
okay, small and light and portable is good, but light and portable doesn't have to mean small because if you've got light and portable but big, that's an advantage over big, heavy, and powerful, you know. And as they've made – like we never did get a 15-inch wedge-shaped design, which I, I think – I, I mean compared to the new MacBook Pro design, which got really thick in a good way, that this does the new air design does look thin compared to that um and people will still comment on it and say like wow that's a, what is that that's a really thin laptop um but to me it's I, I always compare it in my just naturally to the um the wedge shape which as you're using it you see the thinnest part in front of mm. you but it's it's also an illusion right it's like the the iMac is um the the you know before the the, the 24 inch iMac where from the from the you know, side like a certain side view. You think it's just a pane, a pane of glass, but then you go to the, the all the way to the side, and it's bulbous, even though it's thin on the side. So it's they forgo the illusion. But so in this case, fifteen inches. I do think that the you know haven't seen these in person, um, just online. But I do think that where you compare the MacBook Air to the Pros, the bezels are a little thicker than what you get on the Pro models. Uh, including the 14-inch model. Yeah, because you don't get the like the mini LED display, obviously. Right. Yeah. And I think that effect will be less lesser on the 15-inch version because it's just larger screen. Mm-hmm. The comparatively thicker bezel is less. You know, the proportions change, and so it'll just seem like, you know, I think it'll look better. At any rate, so so I'm excited for this thing. I, the price was really surprising. I mean. I don't know. I think I think before I don't forget the last thing I predicted, but I think before I was like feeling like maybe, you know, if you've got twelve hundred dollars for the thirteen inch, then um maybe go to like fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred dollars, you know, to twelve hundred for thirteen inch, sixteen hundred for a fifteen inch, and then two thousand for the pro fourteen, twenty five hundred for the pro sixteen. It seems like you got a pretty good um lineup there in terms of price and variety. But they did way better than that, which I guess we'll get to in a moment. But um, talk more on specs, though. Yeah, yeah. So just like the 13-inch Air, it has MagSafe charging port, two USB-C ports and a headphone jack. It comes in midnight starlight space grain silver. Um, so again, they got that beautiful midnight color, which I wish they would offer on the Pros, but they don't. Uh, but now you have a 15-inch midnight laptop. I mean, that's got to look nice. Uh, same 1080p camera, same as the 13-inch. And like we said before, it's six speakers up from four in the 13-inch. So that seems to be the only like spec difference um, compared to the 13-inch is you, uh, you get extra speakers. Um, and it's because it's the same M2 chip inside. Uh, so you're literally getting the bigger screen, different speakers. And then before this came out, obviously, we'd speculated that, oh, I guess um, the battery life will probably be better too because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it is a slightly bigger screen diagonally and bigger screen area to light up, but also it's a much bigger laptop, you know, physically. So you'd expect the battery to compensate for that. And, the you know, the 13-inch MacBook Air got great battery life. Uh, and so it seemed like the 15-inch might continue that trend. But this was a somewhat surprise. They quote the exact same specs. So the 15-inch gets 18 hours of battery life according to Apple's metrics, which is the same quoted um, duration as the 13-inch. So that kind of leads me to think that they're, although the physical laptop gets bigger the battery might not be as dis- like it, the battery will be disproportionately smaller compared to the 13 inch maybe uh to save on weight so they've sure. kind of prioritized the weight and basically gone oh 18 hours is enough for for anyone let's just make this laptop as light as we can and so we will we'll know for sure when the teardowns come out right and we can have a look but 
I don't feel like if I feel because I feel like if they'd have proportionally made the battery bigger, uh, it should get higher quoted battery life compared to the 13 inch. But it was interesting that they don't claim that. Yeah, it's just Apple, the same for, for everything Apple makes. It seems like every time they've got a bigger screen, you part of the bigger device has more battery life. And you're right about that. Um, I think yeah, if you were to go from 18 to say 19 or 20. Would you notice that difference in day-to-day use? Probably not, but you would always notice the difference in the weight. So that's something that is important to the Air and distinguishes it from the Pro models. And also gives the Pro models, you know, what's the difference in, a, in, a, in an Air and a Pro? You know, you can you can look at better life as one of those things. Um, still fanless, I think. Let's see. The uh, isn't there a GPU difference um, in? The let's see, so on the M2 MacBook Air 13 inch, you can go up to 10 cores. So they do the bidding thing where I think it's uh, I don't know what the, the smaller core number is, but on the 15 it's eight, inch, yeah, it's, it's eight. Yeah, so, so the so cheapest the, 13 inch is eight, eight core CPU, eight core GPU, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so on the M2 15 inch version, it's eight core CPU still, but 10 core GPU on both models, yeah. So, yeah. the so the like you said, the price is great, it's 12.99 base, and um, but when you go up to the 14.99 model. The only difference is the doubling of the SSD storage. So, like, there's no binning on the CPU or the GPU there. So, all the binned M2 chips are getting shoved on the 13-inch model, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, price-wise, I was really impressed because, like you, I was thinking 1500, 1600. It just seemed like the Apple kind of price for this thing, even though it is, you know, mostly spec for spec with a 13-inch. If you look at their lineup and you see the the, the 14-inch MacBook Pro at 2000, and then the old 13 inch at 1200 it's like it's probably going to be about 1500 uh but no they're being pretty aggressive here with 12 9 12 Mm -hmm. um and to go along with that the um 13 inch m2 mapbook has also got a price drop so it used to be 1200 now it's 1099 yes the the m1 still sticks around at 999 though yeah so the if if the 13 inch air didn't change it would have been Twelve ninety nine fifteen, eleven ninety nine thirteen for for M two, and because they've changed it from the the, the thirteen inch M two from eleven ninety nine to ten ninety nine, then there is a two hundred dollar gap there versus one hundred dollars, and I think that's a really good approach to releasing literally a one year old chip, and, and you know, in a new computer that's the same specs virtually as the version from a year ago. It's just a bigger mm-hmm. screen. Um, and then also, you you just you never see Apple drop the price of of products just because they're older. Like you know, they'll continue selling. You know, you know, in the past, like Mac Pro, Mac Studio, iMac. It doesn't matter how old it is. It's like unless there's a they've announced a new thing and they want to, you know, they, what they'll do is they'll at least like give the same base price for better specs. That's what they did with the the, la- the trash can Mac Pro before it went out the door. Um, but they you don't see them discount older products. Unless there's something that's replaced it, and then it might go down. And in this yeah, case, yeah, so like the previous year's iPhone used to be always, you know, you get a hundred dollar price drop when the new one came out, for instance. Right, right. But in general, and, a laptop like the 13 inch would just stick around at that same price till it was done. And when the M2 MacBook Air came out, the M1 MacBook Air didn't change the price. Correct. Just, yeah. Now this is new. This is higher inversion. And in this case, they have lowered the price of the M2 MacBook Air by a hundred dollars. And that does address one of the launch concerns with it, you know, aside from the fact that now it's a year-old machine and there's a um, bigger version of it that costs just a little bit more. It, it does address the part of the problem, which is, oh, the Air went from being $1,000, you know, for the longest time to now it's more than that, and now it's closer to $1,000. Um, 
Um, I guess with the education pricing, you could get the M2 13 inch MacBook Air for a thousand dollars. So yeah, both the 13 and the 15 are a hundred dollars cheaper on education pricing. Yeah, so. but not but still the 1099 price for the 13 inch obviously still isn't quite there for them to be able to get rid of the M1 completely. But when when they announced it uh, last year and it was 1200 and the M1 was a thousand, I was like, wow, it's going to be a while, but. A year later, they've already dropped it by 100. Like, it, it, it makes that timeline a lot more compressed so that we could happily see the M1 with the old design uh, leave the lineup maybe next year with the M3 generation, for instance, because, yeah. you know, we're, we're only $100 away now from that being a reality. And effectively, like, you can almost always buy the M1 MacBook Air for $800 for Best Buy and Amazon mm-hmm. in the U.S., so um, that's got to be pretty close. <laughs> like, I don't think that's that's a great business. I mean, it's great for con- consumers. I don't think Apple wants to be in the business, especially in resellers of, of putting it out there for, you know, I don't know what the cost of it is, but you can't for retailers. They must be paying something close to that. So, yeah. yeah. So overall, very happy with this. They could have done exactly what they did and not have the price drop. And I would still welcomed it with open arms, but the fact mm-hmm. that it's also very price competitive is even better. So can't complain about the 15 inch MacBook Air. Um, the next thing on the Mac hardware side was the Mac studio update. So, they are now bringing the M2 Max and the M2 Ultra chip to the Mac Studio. Um, the M2 Max is 25% faster than the M1 Max, but we already knew that when they brought it to the MacBook Pro at the beginning of the year, obviously. The M2 Ultra is the new chip here, right? Because that, that one hasn't existed on any Mac before mm-hmm. um, because the Ultra has only been on the Studio up to now. So the M2 Ultra is, again, another two dual design of M2 Max silicon connected by an interconnect. Uh, it has a 24-core CPU, which they say is 20% faster than M1 Ultra, 76-core GPU, which is 30% faster than the M1 Ultra GPU, according to Apple, 32-core neural engine, and up to 192 gigabytes of RAM. That's 50% more than the previous um, highest. And the extra um, display controllers and you know um, media controllers and encoders and hardware allows the M2 Ultra to run and power and drive six pro display xdr so that's 6k displays six of them at once off one mac studio which would be kind of a wild setup given how much pro display xdr's cost on their own mm-hmm. but it's theoretically possible um just like the macbook pro you also get the new 8k compatible hdmi port um and that's about it the mac studio looks the same there was no commentary on cooling changes or thermal changes, which I think is probably like the number one complaint some people have with the Mac Studio is that it makes a weird noise because the fans are running at a constant speed all the time, even though none of other Apple's Macs seem to do that. So it's kind of a weird outlier there. But they didn't mention that at all. Maybe they have made some adjustments there and we'll find out when you know we go hands-on. Unless but for now, it's literally those... a, spec bump up, a spec bump update. Yeah, unless you've got six Pro Display XDRs, then maybe you can understand a little bit of fan noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, Mac Studio uh, upgrade. This is a little bit over year over year. I think it went from March 2022 to now June 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's that's super reasonable for Apple. Yeah, it's, it's things good. go two years, you know, or more. Um, the only like the only complaint about the Mac Studio, I think, besides like any fan concerns, is just the way it looks. Like, if you get past the way it looks, as not being like a super attractive computer, because Apple's got so many great designs, and this is like a block of you know, aluminum. If these specs were in something that looked like the 20, the 2008 Mac pro, no 2008, no 2013, 2013 Mac pro, the, the, the super pretty black one. 
the trash can one yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah trash can doesn't sound pretty but this thing was pretty like if these specs were in that it would just be like a knockout of the park i mean it's already <laughs> really great but um it's very utilitarian um and, and to be clear an m2 ultra could 100 percent sit in that trash can enclosure and be perfectly oh, fine yeah yeah the, yeah the whole thermal corner you know that that, that troubled that design it's it's gone now um so it, you know is you know but but uh maybe it's cheaper to make a little block of aluminum than it is to do that thing so at any at any rate so that's the m2 uh max or m2 ultra max studio that, that's same always... prices as the m1 so two thousand for the max four thousand for the ultra yeah and those uh, prices because you know for for double two thousand or four thousand you get you know virtually double everything those have always been pretty pretty good competitively and this the solution to not having a new 27 inch or larger iMac, just 24 inches, seems to be Studio Display and Mac Mini, or Studio Display and Mac Studio. That that you know, there's not, nothing new on the larger than 24 inch iMac horizon. At least this generation. I don't know if that's right. necessarily always going to be the case. Like, sure. I feel like they. I mean, we didn't see a refresh to the M1 iMac, for instance, this generation either. Right. No. So. Maybe M3 comes around and they have a 27-inch iMac too. Uh, but that's obviously a thing for the future. Mm -hmm. um, the big surprise here really was up until about last week, we weren't expecting Mac Studio updates, right? We were expecting the Mac Pro to have the M2 Ultra chip and then the Mac Studio to be left out of generation because that's what Mark Gurman said. He said Apple had said that because um, the Mac Pro wasn't getting the M2 Extreme, it was just going to get an M2 Ultra, it kind of eliminated the need for a Mac Studio this time around because the products would be too similar, so they just weren't going to bother and come back next time. But uh, that's not what happened. What we have now is a Mac Studio with M2 Max and M2 Ultra, and then we have a Mac Pro with with the M2 Ultra. It's, it's kind of a letdown. <laughs> it's the first <laughs> Apple Silicon Mac Pro. There's a lot to just think about it and, like, you know, what's what's the... You, you could see where Mark's reporting was. Why why would you even do this? Mm -hmm. uh, if, if if the only reason the Mac Pro would exist is if you were to put the M2 Ultra in it, you know, you you could even like maybe if the M2 if the Mac Studio didn't go to M2 Ultra, it was just M2 Max, and it's like here's the desktop M2 Max. Um, then then the Mac Pro would make more sense. But when you compare it to the four thousand dollar Mac Studio with M2 Ultra. The seven thousand dollar Mac Pro, it, you're mostly paying for the different the different case, which is much much larger. It's nice, um, and then the potential to add more cards PCI to expansion. it. expansion, yeah. exactly. More cards to it that, that aren't GPU cards. That's the and, thing, though. Like, and, and more internal storage to it. Yeah. So it's literally the exact same chassis as the. 2019 mac pro except that it has a few more holes for thunderbolt ports and no uh, sd card slot like the studio gives you a yeah about that. <laughs> yeah they didn't give an sd card slot but you get eight thunderbolt ports now because obviously the m2 ultra has a lot more io bandwidth um and they pointed out which is a funny stat that this mac pro now has the equivalent of seven afterburner cards built into it well so um, does, doesn't the studio yeah exactly yeah. like so yeah. they're, they're talking about the mac pro section they're saying that's a cool stat which it is and it's a cool compared to the mac pro but it's literally identical to the Mac Studio as well, yeah. um, so you can get that. You can get seven afterburner cards worth of performance from Mac Studio as well. And if you compare, uh, if you do compare the Apple Silicon Mac Pro to the 2019 Intel Xeon Mac Pro, you know, same casing and everything. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it, the story is is that the afterburner card, which is for decoding ProRaw and ProRaw Res video, 
faster at all, I guess, is, is that was two thousand dollar add on to the to the Mac Pro then. And, since and now you get the, seven of them. Yeah. It was it was part of the M1 Pro chip, not M1, and then part of M2 every chip that basically included Afterburner, you know, mm-hmm. capabilities. So yeah, now you get seven. The the top price too for an Apple for an Apple Intel Mac Pro um, in 2019, you could go above fifty thousand dollars. Now the top price is just above twelve thousand dollars, but that's where you get to some of the differences. Is is you know you you, you can't you can't go max out as much yeah, yeah you, you can't do anything with gpu the gpu is what it is you can't the biggest price difference there is going to be the um the memory the ram because you the can RAM, go to yeah. one and a half terabytes of ram before and now it's the same as the mac studio with, with ultra which is 192 gigabytes of, of ram now i have no idea like what the the popularity of the use case and all that is for like what it feels like to use those machines i don't know what 192 gigabytes of ram feels like um but well, I know that MKBHD, um, their studio had a Mac Pro with 768 gigabytes of RAM. So, so they, have, so you couldn't they, they currently have a 2019 even. Mac Pro with 768. So some people did buy, you know, the crazy high RAM amounts. Yeah. But clearly it was very, very niche. And I think 192 probably covers uh, enough or a, a wide gamut there. And the overall performance boost of the M2 Apple Silicon architecture probably makes up for the fact you can't go over again. But I'm sure there will be use cases which, for some reason, needed a terabyte of RAM that are no longer serviced. Mm-hmm. Um, the real thing that's kind of just like awkward about this is the PCI slots, right? Because that's the only difference between the Mac Pro and the Mac Studio is that you get six PCI slots for expansion. But you, they don't support external GPUs. So what Apple said you can use them for is audio and video io cards so if you have special audio equipment or special video equipment that has weird ports or even something as simple as a usb a port you can get to that with a pci expansion slot um networking if you want for whatever reason you your the 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 10 gig ethernet that's included isn't enough you can get extra networking with a pci slot and additional storage you could plug in like hard drives or additional ssds into those drives that obviously they wouldn't be as fast as the um the built-in ssd but they're there as additional storage and so a lot of these studios or these you know these like um work setups they'll have a mac pro and they'll just shove it with drive so rather than having a nas they can just have it all internal although that's becoming increasingly rare because more more companies are switching to you know network nases and you just have really light storage locally but uh, i do know that a lot of people would just fill their mac pros with drives before so you can still do that but the big thing that those pci slots were used for in 2019 was gpus and that is completely off the table here so it's kind of in a awkward space because literally you buy this Mac Pro and you open it up, it's like eighty percent empty. <laughs> like it's the Mac Pro Air. Yeah, there's you're literally buying air, and those slots were primarily before used to fill with GPUs. You can't do that anymore. Like I feel like this machine is just an emblematic of the compromise they had to make because they were originally designing it to fit an M2 Extreme chip in, right? It should be. Double an M2 Ultra. Double M2 Ultra, so quadruple an M2 Max. It'd be four M2 Maxes, right? Which is double M2 Ultra. Um, And as reported by Mark Goldman last year, and this was probably the plan when John Turnus talked about the Mac Pros around the day, and he said at that point, he's like, we're going to wow them with an M2 Extreme trip, right? Um, But that that fell away because of engineering complexity, cost, you know, issues. So basically what you're left with is, at least for now, is... um, a kind of relevant Mac Pro, I would say. Like, it's not completely irrelevant, but it's not 
it doesn't really justify its place as it is, and clearly it was designed with something different in mind in terms of innards, uh, and that just didn't come together this time. Does it stick around long term? That's a question to be seen, right? Because like, you could really, if you look at them line up right now, you could be like, well, why don't we just not have it and just only sell Mac Studios? Like, I feel that has to be a pretty compelling argument inside of Apple. Only thing the Mac Studio needs is a good design. <laughs> yeah, they could redesign the Mac Studio a little bit, and then there you go. Like. However, I'm kind of hopeful that the reason the Mac Pro is around this year is that they want to have another go at doing the extreme chip. So they maybe want to end this transition. Four. They don't want to keep delaying the Mac Pro for some of the time. And that was at least a pressure point, I have to imagine. Is Yeah, they don't want to keep selling Intel stuff, right? right. So it's like, well, here's an M2 Ultra, deal with it. And then on the to-do list somewhere, it's like, we're going to have another go at doing a, a super um, amped up chip for the Mac Pro. Why is it $1,000 more? With, with... Uh, because the old one was 5999 but it came with 256 gigabyte SSD. Now it's 6999 but it comes with a terabyte. Okay. Ah, that's reasonable. I mean... Ish. <laughs> that's ish. Reasonable-ish. He's still ish. paying three grand extra compared to a Mac Studio with the M2 Ultra. For... That that comparison is tougher, but yeah, yeah. like they, you're not buying very much for three thousand dollars. So uh, the Mac Mac Studio though is it's, it's four thousand four thousand dollars for the the same chip. Is mm-hmm. is that one terabyte? For I believe so. Yeah, okay. I think okay. it's literally you're only buying the case difference. Okay, yeah, that's... which seems kind of wild. That's tough. Yeah, yeah I just double checked. Yep, three nine 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 Mac Studio is one terabyte SSD. Okay. So you're literally paying extra three grand just for the case with PCI expansion slots. Yeah, for any, for anyone who who could could not get by with the who who finds this more appropriate for work for work than the studio, I'd really be curious. The Mac Q's, the, uh, like you mentioned the design before, the Mac Pro is certainly cooler. Like ignoring the the fact that it's huge. Like remember the, the cool, of the... it has the cool milled out circles. You know, it has all that jazz going for it. It matches. Mac Studio is the... literally a brick. It matches the now dated Pro Display XDR design. At least it does. Um, <laughs> it does. Yeah. I, I, by the way, uh, I, I saw this weekend, this week, for the first time, I, the the nano texture version of the Studio Display. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and that's what I've wanted because I like anti glare, and that's anti glare without compromise of like being rainbowy and everything. And I was very disappointed in it because I'd also seen before the Pro Display XDR with nano texture, and that is phenomenal. Like it's just amazing uh, nano texture, particularly like the matte finish of it, the anti glare nature of it is just not not matte particularly, but like it's, it's more mm-hmm. matte than glossy. Um, it's really good. And then I realized when I was looking at the studio display with, with nano texture that just behind it was the Pro Display X nano texture, so I could go back and forth and compare. And I th- I think it explains the difference in price of going from nano texture on the Pro Display XDR. That's a thousand dollars, and I don't know what the price is for the studio display, but I think it's a few a hundred, hundred. Yeah, yeah, definitely not a thousand. And so I always wonder, like, are they just marking up the price, like making it more premium because there's more, a little bit more screen space to to cover, but also it's more premium of a product so they can do that and get by with it. Um, It was the same case, though, with the 27-inch iMac. They had a not $1,000 version, you know, difference that had nanotexture. I have never seen that before, though. But I have to say, 
I think the price difference is not just in, you know, they're both called nanotexture with like no other um, adjective to it, but the version for ProDisplay CR is just much better in terms of having really? no, ra no rainbow mm. effects and everything. Yeah, it's it's just not as sharp looking on the pro on the on the studio version. Studio. Yeah, that's and, a shame. And, and I think if I would have paid the difference for it, I would have been disappointed because it's like you you kind of want to peel it off, but you can't. It's just there. Right. Okay. Yeah. Whereas on the on the ProDisplay CR, yeah, or on the XDR though, you're like. You don't want to peel it off. You're like, it's just, it's just great, you know. So yeah. Uh, kind, well, kind we of, might uh, be due for display Gen twos soonish, right? Like, yeah. Originally, the rumor was that they were going to update the Pro Display XDR alongside the Mac Pro. That doesn't, that obviously didn't happen, but mm -hmm. still pending. And a studio display update might be coming in, you know, a year or so too. So, uh, we'll, I guess, we'll keep keep our eyes to the ground for that. Uh, John Turnist finished the Mac hardware section definitively. Uh, after the Mac Pro um, unveiling to say that this completes the transition to Apple Silicon, just in case anybody out there was holding hope for the <laughs> iMac, iMac changes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they That is not on the cards. They are done for now. Uh, and M3 generation will probably start early 2024 kind of time frame. Mm -hmm. But overall, I'd say thumbs up. Mac Pro is a disappointment, but otherwise cannot complain. The, the Mac Pro served to make Vision Pro the headset not the most expensive thing at the keynote. <laughs> There's your price anchoring. Happy Hour This Week is sponsored by Clean My Mac X. Keep an eye on your Mac's health with Clean My Mac X. Junk files, hung processes, and malicious apps can slow down even the latest, most powerful Macs. Maintaining your Apple machine, whether it's old or new, is essential for smooth macOS system performance. And Clean My Mac X is an all-in-one Mac maintenance tool that takes care of old junk, faulty apps, and malware in an efficient, aesthetically pleasing, and hassle-free way. Using the app's menu, you can monitor your Mac's health, CPU load, and more. With nearly 30 million downloads and 15 years of expertise behind them, this app is a must-try for any Mac user. Run Clean My Mac X to gear up your Mac for the groundbreaking additions announced at this year's WWDC and be ready for macOS Sonoma in the fall with a beautiful new Mac installation. As Apple continues to pack in features to macOS, Clean My Mac X is there to ensure your hardware remains healthy and running at peak performance so you can enjoy a seamless Mac experience. Get 5% off Clean My Mac X using the link in the show notes. Once again, that's 5% off using the link in the show notes. Thanks to Clean My Mac X for sponsoring the show. Mac OS Sonoma, huh? Well, we can talk about that in the next session because I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay. Sonoma. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone say this week that this would be the first version in a while that people can just... There's no debate on how to pronounce it. Well, so. I'm British. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, iOS I can pronounce iOS 17, though. <laughs> iOS That's 7 plus 10. Yeah. iOS 17, uh, Craig Federighi presented this section. He said iOS 17 focuses on communication, sharing improvements, intelligent input, and new experiences. And the first manifestation of that was with updates to the phone app. Uh, that's how they said it. It was time to update the phone app, although the actual phone app isn't very different. Like it's kind <laughs> of the, the yeah, like the, you you open phone dot app on the phone and the design is the same. What they meant by updates to the phone app is the features of the phone of the iPhone are improving. So specifically, they now have this new concept called contact posters, which are kind of like iPhone lock screens, but for your contact cards. So you can like 
have your name and a photo of yourself and either a portrait or an emoji and that is what's represented when somebody um, calls but unlike contact photos where you pick the photos the idea with contact posters is that the person makes the contact poster and then they choose what everybody else sees so like i make a contact poster only for me and then if i shared my contact information with you zach when i called you it would show the contact poster that i designed so you're not meant to like go through every single one of your contacts and make a contact poster for it it's just meant to be a thing that each person does and so that when they get calls or messages or whatever that's what it shows um it's unclear to me like if it only syncs once or if a person updates their poster does it resync again is there like an approval process because you could easily see some malicious intent there where you could like set your own photo to something you know unsanitary and then everybody sees it forcibly uh we have to kind of test that out a bit more and work out how it works but in theory the idea is that you trust your friend to make a responsible contact poster for themselves and i have seen in the phone app um settings like for each contact you can choose either to use the contact poster or to set their your own image or photo so like you don't have to use the person's contact poster you can still manually set a photo to whatever you want if you want to but obviously apple's pushing it so that post is the new way forward uh what do you think of these i thought they, i thought it was a pretty cool idea it's it's a cool, fun idea. Uh, it's the kind of thing that would be like a neat app, but it wouldn't get a lot of adoption. But because mm-hmm. it's part of the system, it's, it's going to. Um, my my first thought, though, was that there's always been this weird thing with iOS where I think it's depending – it depends on the resolution of the photo. But sometimes you'll have the photo for the person calling you, at, you know, as a little contact photo next to their name. And sometimes it'll be full screen. Yep. You, you know? And – I mean, going back to as far as iOS has existed, that's been a weird difference. And so, this, yeah, I guess it does. It won't take your photo full screen. Instead, it'll just make you have you you'll have more space around your photo that you have personalized in the way that you want to present it. So, I, I haven't spent much. Time, I haven't like set up one yet or anything. It's, like def- that. it's definitely gunning for full screen images. Like all their examples are those kind of portrait photos where you have like the subject big and then you have blurred background. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're definitely going for like full screen. But if you don't want to do a photo, you can set up an emoji instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some like different options for fonts and colors and stuff. Yeah. It's like a it's like a stripped down version of the iPhone lock screen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was a pretty cool idea. Uh, and it does work with third-party VoIP apps via CoolKit. Like this was something they said quite a lot. was like, here's an iPhone feature. And don't worry, it also works with third-party apps. I don't know if that's like a subtle messaging to the eu or something but they said it a fair few times uh, enough that i like picked up on it um, yeah. so that's contact well, posters and yeah. it is it is a developer conference and developers it is a developer conference they don't make true, the phone yeah. app they make they make the third party apps so. that's fair yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um the other phone app feature is live voicemail so this is kind of something that um google's done on android for a little while where basically instead of relying on your carrier's voicemail service so that when the phone rings and you don't answer, it gets diverted to the carrier system. What happens is the iPhone, the phone picks up the call on your behalf. It plays a message. Like, obviously, it rings a couple for a little while. But then if you don't answer, it will just accept the call and then say, like, this is voicemail, right? Leave a message. And so then the iPhone is managing the voicemail experience so that it can, if you get a, if the voicemail comes in, it shows a transcript on the screen. You can accept and immediately join the call if you want to, or you can let you know the voicemail ring out and, and go over. Um, and so by doing it that way round, 
you don't have to have like carrier support because it's literally just accepting the phone call in every case um you do have to have apple support because it's only a us only feature at launch um which is a bit of, i think it's us and canada to be clear i i don't really know why but uh i think maybe the transcription languages they're only doing it for us and canada at the, at the beginning yeah because american not english right american english yeah not british english yeah because what's really annoying is that at least in beta one um you can turn on low voice live voicemail in the settings like it shows up for me uh-huh. uh but it doesn't do anything like and normally features that are disabled by region just don't show the toggle at all have you uh, had so, voicemail transcription and as as that was in beta for a long time but it was shipping mm-hmm. have you had that i haven't had that on my carrier but i know people that do okay because it's i mean there's only a few carriers in the u.s and so i think that's been just a feature for several years that that mm-hmm. works um and and that would you know the model there would be the voicemail is left for you and you have the option of either playing it back or skimming the tran- the transcription um, which which was useful. It's like, oh, you don't have to And that it. did require carrier support, right? Because it was interfacing with the carrier's voicemail service. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, it's not that you see it after it's been left. You see it in real time. And it's kind of like the old days of having a home phone with an answering machine that you you hear it as the message is being left. And then, I mean, these days you would see this in movies, but like someone leaves the message and, and you kind of you screen the call that way. And then you pick it up when you say, okay, you know. (laughs) That was one question I did have because I remember trying this myself. Yeah. Can you not get to the voicemail later if you want to see it again? Yeah, you can. Okay. so Well, well, let's see. I I have it turned on. I'm not sure I've witnessed it yet. And I get a lot of voicemails every day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's buggy or something at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's the first beta version. I I do see, though, there's, there's a couple of things. Whenever you have a call... Um, you can you can answer you can there's a button for remind and there's a button for voicemail and I think so M- maybe it doesn't show it to you automatically you have to press the button to see it and that might make sense because you wouldn't want someone leaving you a voicemail and if your phone's just sitting there anyone can read it so maybe there's a user, user interaction involved where you have to tap voicemail to be able to then see it they um, did say that if it, if if it's a call identified as spam by the carrier, then it doesn't offer the live voicemail. It just goes immediately declares oh, the call. Those are most of my voicemails. Um, yeah. the, there's a there's a thing though in beta one at least where after a voicemail is left, at, at some point in, at the in, at, when you don't answer the call, you get the FaceTime sound for leaving a group call. Like when someone's left your group FaceTime, and you get a little blah blah. Oh, that's you, funny. <laughs> you hear that sound as if the call has ended. And the first time it happened to me, like my phone was in, in, in the room and I had just gotten out of the shower and I was like, oh no, was I on video? <laughs> like, and, and, and I looked at the phone. It's like, no, okay, no, I, did, I, I didn't accidentally get on FaceTime or something. But, you know, I don't know. It's probably a beta one thing, but like that tone needs to be unique. And it shouldn't be the one that involves being on a video call with somebody. Yeah, that's probably just a placeholder sound or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of voicemail, they now have voicemail for FaceTime. So if you don't pick up, if you don't answer a FaceTime call, they can leave you a video message directly. Um, that's kind of cute. Um, and then Messages. So the Messages app has got a pretty decent update uh, this time around. Uh, so search filters, when you do a search now in the um in the little field you can like do those little like placeholder card things where you can have like location date 
author and then a text thing so like boolean searches in messages to help you find that one message from 10 years ago um assuming the messages search actually works which to be fair it has been a lot better and since they redid it um, and now you can just be even more fine-grained which is nice there's now a catch-up arrow in the transcript so if you have like a busy group chat and you come to it the next day you can like press one button and it will zoom you back up to the first unread message bubble yep. which is nice yeah i wrote um, last year that um slack does a better job at message messages catch up than than, than iMessage does and this mm-hmm. is exactly what i was writing about so cool yep it's nice i again this is beta one is quite buggy right now uh, at least in my experience it shows the arrow when i've definitely seen the bubbles before but again beta one stuff and out of um any ios release this one is a pretty buggy beta one in my experience uh, so you know it will get better but yeah that's the feature um swipe to reply so obviously they added in they added like threaded messaging last year um so you can do like replies with threading which is a really great feature and it helps organize your chats but the way you had to activate before is you have to long press on the bubble then click reply then type the message and send now they've got a shortcut you just swipe left or right on the bubble itself and it immediately pops up the reply interface so it's a lot easier to do which is nice um voicemail not voice sorry voice messages left in messages are now transcribed so you don't have to listen to them you can just see a text version which is a nice little addition um, they have inline location sharing whereas before it was in this like separate panel but now it just goes straight in the message transcript and then a big feature they were emphasizing for messages is this thing called check-in which it's not sharing your location but it's basically like sharing that to your friend that you are going somewhere and you want them to be safe in the knowledge that you got there kind of dealio so like you say i'm going to this place and i expect to be there around 11 p.m let's say you send that off it appears in the chat nothing happens if you appear at your location um successfully on time then the check-in thing just kind of ticks off and you're done if you don't arrive uh, the phone will prompt you first to say like are you okay we realize we see you're not making progress to arrive around 11 p.m do you want to end the check-in extend the time you know extend the estimated time of arrival uh, that's given to you as an option if you you can obviously dismiss it or whatever proactively but if you don't answer it then the phone assumes that you might have got in trouble or it might be a problem so in those cases it then notifies your friend that you haven't actually arrived where you said you were going to be and then it'll include map location, phone service, cellular service, battery percentage, that kind of thing. Yeah, this will be, I think this will come in useful. We'll see news stories about this. That is a good compromise between just always sharing, sharing your location and then, or, 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 or having a bit of like up, upfront privacy where you don't share your explicit location, but if you don't make it where you're going to be, then, then like I'm, I'm imagining this from a parent perspective where you yep. want to give your children some, some, you know, further than some, some trust beyond just, I always see where you are to where, um, okay, well, let's, let's move on from that. And now maybe we, you, you know, you want some privacy and, um, you know, respect that. And so let's do this instead where, you know, if you don't make it where you, you know, expect to go, then it's still possible to share location, but, but, you know, only if the situation were to happen, which can, you know, that that's, I like this a lot. This is one of those, this is, this is a good thing. Yeah, this is well well thought through because mm-hmm. in most cases you'll never get to the end state where the location is shared, right? It's just success, right. yeah. mission done. Uh, but you're really protecting against the cases where you do actually have a problem. Um, in which case you you know you let go of some of your personal privacy for personal safety, essentially, yep. right? Yep. Um, so I think it's a little a nice trade off, and of course it's end to end encrypted, etc., etc., etc. 
Um, they this is the thing that I'm most interested in with the message changes this year. They've redesigned the iMessage app drawer thing, so now it's completely gone. All you have is a plus button above the keyboard. When you press plus, it has this new like full screen overlay, which has a list of stuff. So it has camera, photos, stickers, uh, um, Apple Pay Cash, etc. And then there's a more button at the bottom. So already, I'd say this is a design upgrade because the photos widget thing is no longer like on the same bar as everything else it's literally at the top of when you press the plus button so um good improvement there but then they've actually gone one step further so all of the iMessage apps that i don't think many people use um are now hidden away so on you you go to this plus overlay and then you have to swipe up which then takes you to a more section which has all of the iMessage apps listed there so they're really burying them away well i um, I, I mean they're buried but i think they're also like less buried though, because I think that mm. the bar navigation before was ugly. They they change it to make it that once you interact with it, it expands to be bigger, um, so it's more legible. But it was like icon label, but it was so tiny that like I can't imagine people scrolling, you know, on the the, the narrowest mm-hmm. width of your of your phone because uh, it's obviously taller than it is wide, and then getting to the thing that you're looking for, it, it was just a bad interaction, and you know. I think those are the yeah. Anyway, the the new thing now though is at first I was a little bit annoyed by it because it's like, well, if I just want to share a photo, it feels like I've got to go in, in this other view, but it's the same amount of taps and everything. And also, if you do actually use any of the iMessage apps, you know, even if it's like images, which is Apple's built-in GIF picker or Giphy, you know, or um, anything that you actually use, then you. I think it'll 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 learn from what you use and maybe bring it up top. But you can also customize it to where you you can you can hold and drag and bring those back up to the first one, so you don't have to do the tap more or swipe up from the bottom. You know, which is effectively like it was before, where you had the first section of favorites and then a little pillar and then everything else plus more. And now it's that you've got your favorites and then you can go and see the rest of them. Um, so it's just at, at least on beta one, you can't drag iMessage apps to the top level section. To the top level one, yeah. You okay. can rearrange it, but it always stays on the second page. Yeah, and I mean, and, and just, we were just talking about check-in. That's where it, I, I just did it in beta one. Well, no, well, I guess it wasn't iMessage app; it was check-in. But um, that's... I'm trying it right now. I can't move check-in upwards. Maybe it's bugged out or something. But okay, yeah, I it. can put check-in and Fandango above camera for that. You know, oh. so, yeah, so. I like this system, and I, I feel like it's. I mean, it's it's taking iMessages, iMessage apps out of your face, and the way that it was like, we want you to use this, so look at it, <laughs> you know. And you just got like blind to it, and but now it's. Oh, I just did it actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have to like go really high upwards, and then it finally makes its way into the top <laughs> section. Yeah. So yeah, so so I mean, it is like less in your face, but I also feel like it's more. It's it's like easier to parse. You know, it's just, it's way more yeah. legible. I kind I get the same inkling from this that you I got from the you remember when obviously they introduced the new notification the new widgets right on iOS fourteen or whatever mm-hmm. and where did they put the old style widgets they put them in that like little area on their own at the very bottom of notification center you know mm-hmm. this is kind of that for iMessage apps yeah maybe like, but I mean they, they consider theirs like like they consider check in they consider images even the store as that's even music memoji as the second level you know they're under more and i I believe from the keynote that based on which you actually use 
besides just manually moving them around, that then you would see the ones that you actually use up front. They would go up upwards. Top okay. level, yeah. Um, we'll see, but I got I got deprecation inklings off of this, but I guess <laughs> time will tell. The yeah. one, the other one weird thing about this drawer, like I like the presentation of it, mm-hmm. but the iconography they use is pretty weird. Like the photos, the icon they put next to photos is like nothing like a photos icon you see anywhere else on the system. For instance, it's a like, it says it's two photos, it's kind of stacked, but like one coming off the other. The background photo is like this bluish purplish color and then the, the one on top of it is your last taken photo so not the photos flower icon thing but you're you're right it is different i, I like it i think it's fresh it's different the one for the camera is just like a gray circle it's like the shutter button a little bit less descriptive but you do have the word next to them stickers i think is cute cash is yeah it's a different style i think they're nice though yeah, they're nice. They just feel a bit out of place, I'd say, compared to the rest of... It makes the iMeshes ones look basic because they're <laughs> smaller and and they're the other other style. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty nice redesign overall, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you mentioned stickers. They've also got a few little updates there. So you can do emojis now as stickers, which is nice. You can do like a tap back reply with any emoji, although it's technically a sticker, but same difference. Uh, and you can also make easily make stickers out of... Um, the cutout subjects thing. So you know that thing they did last year where you can like long press on a photo and it just pulls the subject out yeah. as like a separate cutout? Well, now they they can be made as a sticker themselves and they appear Yeah, like in, someone in made an, an app to do that explicitly, mm-hmm. which, you know, it just discovering that as a user, you, you may not do that. And then it does involve using a separate app. Having it built in was one of those things where it's like, they have to get to that eventually. Yeah, it's like, I kind of ignored the sticker section because it's like, I don't care about our stickers really. But really it's that you can t- like as you said tap back with any emoji that's played as a sticker use emojis as stickers if you want to do that which stickers being different from like inline emoji where you know with emoji you you can do up to three and they're very large and if you do more than they're smaller and they're in line as a te- as, as a message but with stickers you can drag them and put them on top of a message you can pinch and zoom make them bigger and smaller exactly yeah. you can resize them and that kind of adds context to like what you're reacting to as well so like if you put you know a laughing emoji on a joke that was like further up the conversation then that's clearer than like if you put a laughing emoji like at the bottom of the conversation or have to do a reply to it so um i like this and then like i would say like because you can take your your pull subject out and make those stickers too it's like everything you could have asked for last year they they did this year in, in this regard and then airdrop uh, then they have this name drop feature, which is sharing those contact cards, those contact poster things, just by bringing two phones close to each other, which is kind of cool. You can also do that for airdropping like any content. So instead of having to go to the share menu and click airdrop, you can just bring the phones close and it will like launch an airdrop experience. Um, it works with iPhone to iPhone and also iPhone and Apple Watch. And if you leave the range of the device now, as long as both devices are signed into iCloud, it will continue the transfer over the internet. So it will like upload the data to the internet to then download on the other person's device. So if you send a really big file and you leave you leave range, your AirDrop will not cancel. It will just change the way that it's getting sent, which I thought was really a really nice little feature. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and also that same kind of like bring close gesture, it can also kick off share play sessions now too. Uh, I, I don't know how many people are really going to use that in practice, but I guess we'll find out probably uh, a better way to do share play than like if you're actually there together mm, 
than than having to go and do it through messages or or the app itself. I mean, SharePlay began as a FaceTime only thing, so it's coming out of that little little silo that it was. They're trying to make it more popular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, keyboard updates. This was a nice little surprise. Oh, so they one, have a one new thing, one thing I want to interview here because of SharePlay, and this is probably later in the, in the podcast anyway. But I want to say there's a QR code now on CarPlay because of SharePlay. Like that, that a key. QR code? Oh, is that how it happens? That's funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, yeah, that they did cover this later, but yeah, now you can do SharePlay in the car. So if the if you're in a CarPlay environment, anybody in the car will get like a little prompt to join in the session. Yeah, and, and they, they literally scan a QR code on your on your car screen. Who would have thought that QR codes would come to CarPlay? I think if you're in the same like family group or whatever, you don't have to do the QR code. But if you're like mm-hmm. somebody else, you do the QR code. Yeah, that's at least how it looked like um, from from the video. Um, keyboard updates. They are redoing the autocorrect system now. It leverages a transformer language model, which is AI. As Th- that's the T in GPT. That is the T in GPT, indeed. Um, so now you have a transformer model to provide more accurate and personalized autocorrect options. Um, notably, this does actually require a relatively recent device. So it's only like the iPhone like 13 or 12. Like, So if you have anything older, it's still using the old system. But yeah, if you have an iPhone like 12 or newer, you get to use uh, the new autocorrect model, which is run on every single key press, probably through the newer engine, which is probably why it is device limited like that. Um so far, obviously, we've only been using the beta for like two or three days. I think it works pretty well. It seems more accurate. Uh, it seems slightly more personalized. Uh, um, Craig Federighi called out that, quote, in those moments when you just want to type a ducking word, the keyboard will learn it too. Um, I did try and swear on the keyboard and it didn't let me. So, But I don't swear that often anyway, so maybe I have to like do it a bit more and it will learn. Uh, but at least right out of the box, it still changed it to ducking. So really, really testing testing the software. Out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it, uh, uh, separately, like that's a nice improvement in you know making it a smarter model for corrections. But completely separate to that, they've also made UI improvements. Um, so even if you have the old autocorrect system, it's actually a lot nicer to use now. So when you do typing and it makes a correction, it leaves it underlined. And then you can just click on the underlined word and it will pop up the thing it replaced it to and you can tap that to revert it. So if you do have something done incorrectly and you've like kept typing, it's now really easy to undo it, which is nice. And they have inline completions. So like as you're typing, um, like a grayed out version of the rest of the sentence will appear that it's going to autocomplete and you can just press space to accept the completion, which allows you to just only look at the text box rather than having to also look like to that row above the keyboard where those predictive options appear. So it just I've had keeps that it... row off for a long time too. I think it's ugly mm-hmm. and Yeah, not many people have it switched on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now there's a much nicer way to actually see the corrections and it will also correct and complete multiple words at a time. So like, you know, if there's a common phrase, then the transformer model thinks with a high degree of um accuracy that that's what you want to say it will complete three words in one go for instance yeah i've seen this uh, a lot on i'm just using it on the mac so far um, oh it's on the mac too i didn't know that actually yeah and like writing emails you know you it's like what gmail has done for ages mm. but it's built into the mac and i'm sure that you know you could install some software and extensions and, and all kind of things to add to your mac that we have to launch and log in and can do something similar but um having it be a built-in feature that you don't even have to think about you just see it when it happens um, I found it be useful. Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't like know what you do to make that, to choose that word. Um, my my guess was tab, which wasn't it, but space makes sense. 
yeah. <laughs> once, once you know that that's what it is and they've also upgraded the um, dictation processing to use the neural engine to also be more accurate um, next up is a feature that isn't actually in the betas at the moment it's quoted on the website as coming later this year so probably not coming in iOS 17.0 and that is the journaling app so with the journaling app um, it's got a nice icon by the way it looks like a little book or slash butterfly it looks like a little icon and it basically creates moments or suggested moments based on your photo library your current location what music you listen to what podcast you listen to what workouts you've done um, and presents them and then you like choose one and you can fill in the entry with your own message dear diary uh, so today Zach wasn't on the happy hour what gives <laughs> Which was fun. Um, so yeah, the moments kind of inspire the writing prompts that you do. Uh, and there's a suggestions API, so third-party apps can also get access to the same data around those suggested moments. Um, you can make bookmarks out of your entries. You can get reminders to make new entries. So if you want to do a journal entry every night at 9pm, you can get a notification every day. Um, and of course, the journal is end-to-end encrypted, and there's an ability to lock your journal with like Face ID and Touch ID. Uh, it, Again, we haven't been able to try this really, and they only showed about like four screenshots of it. Mm-hmm. But it looked pretty good. It looked nicely this designed. A, this is one of the things I'm most excited about. I mean, I, I know that there are lots of journaling apps you can use already. I've, I've used Day One off and on for a long time. Um, something that is like a behavior of mine, though, is like if I journal through a sensitive time, I'll often decide to nuke it after the fact. And like, I don't want any recollection of that. Um, period move on but if, if it's something built in i think that i'm less likely to do that and also um it seems like it'll it, it's so many ways of of in, including information that's automatic more than just this is the date this is this is like maybe you know some as of photos that you've taken so um this is something i'm gonna use a lot i think it's a really cool app on the iphone i think it's really cool on the ipad like you know if you think what is an ipad for there's always been a few apps that you kind of think that are you know they're, they're fine everywhere else but they're best on the ipad you know think things like magazines news and um even just like looking back at photos and i think that journal on the ipad will be a good one um so I, i'm a little bummed it's not in the beta yet but i'm glad that or not, not and maybe not even the, the final release in september but um this is one i'm looking forward to a lot i, I did on that same topic i did you know think that you know this this would because it, it, they did kind of mention this in the spirit in the like idea of um, like mental health and everything because mm-hmm. journaling is a good way to like process things and uh, but they still do on through health and and on the watch the the meditation app or I forget the name of it now but anyway um, you you mindfulness have the, I think mi- it's good yeah, yeah used to be breathe so you you got the ability then to log um, how you, you you can log a couple of things you can log um, how you're feeling lately or what your mood is now, or maybe it's the opposite of that. Anyway, it, it includes lots of prompts that are essentially like journaling where you can say, um, and, it, and it isn't like blank piece of paper, good luck, you know, or even like a prompt. It's like just choose through some things here. And, and then, so for me, that's going to, like I do want to log those things to see trends and, you know, associate it with other other aspects. So the journal app, I think, is like a more cre- like creative outlet for that. But e- even still, before journal app comes, you you do get in the health app and and um, and mindfulness. You do get the way to do it. it. You you can add context to those entries that you make. So this is uh, 
maybe one of my favorite parts of, of iOS and, and watchOS in this case. When it was rumored um, by the Wall Street Journal, they mentioned like a feature where it would make moments based off people you met in real life, like nearby in proximity. Mm-hmm. They didn't mention any of that. So I don't know if that was not real or deferred to another year, but yeah, it's got, all you based got, on you, you got a name drop to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the next big feature is something called Standby, which mm-hmm. is one of Apple's frustratingly trademarked names where the word is Standby, but they don't put a space between stand and buy, but they do capitalize the B. So it's capital S, T, and D, capital B, Y. Um, but basically, this is the smart display mode that Mark Gurman reported on last week. It has like full screen glanceable experiences when your iPhone is charging in landscape mode. Uh, it has a big like large clock and then a, the, the right hand side has like a widget area. You can swipe between various clock styles um, some of them look Apple Watchy. Some of them look very different to Apple Watch faces. Some of them are designs that I wish the Apple Watch did have, but it doesn't. Um, if you swipe to the side, it goes to like a photo slideshow situation. The widgets are defaults um, to smart stacks, so they kind of try and show you intelligent for the current time of day, like your calendar, weather, home kit controls. You can customize it just like you can customize the iPhone lock screen. Um, and it also includes live activities there. So if you're f- tracking a sports game while it's charging, it will just show you the live activities for the sports for the sports scores, which is nice. Incoming notifications pop up there too. And you can talk straight to Siri from there with a customized UI. So you get nice big text, nice big images. Um, so if you're talking to Siri on your phone from across the room, you can actually see visually what's going on. And in nighttime, it, in low light, it changes to a red tint. So like the, what's the face called, Zach? on the face watch that does called this. wayfinder wayfinder that's it so like the wayfinder watch face you can do it, it the standby experience goes to red there's a setting to turn that off if you don't want it and then it just it's, dims it's the weird it's weird now that um night stand on the watch mm-hmm. uses green text yep because you can have standby on your phone be red text at night next to the and, and that stays on and there's some intelligence about when it will turn off but um, you can have standby and red text and then nightstand and green text. And I know that green text is also meant to be easy on the eyes. But it, having red and green is a little more like distracting than if it were red across the board. And stand- yeah, they should probably offer an option maybe on the watch to change nightstand mode to be red as well. Yeah, I, mean, I think it should be the new default. And and, the, and stand nightstand will turn off until you like maybe tap the screen or tap your table at your nightstand you know whatever but um i i'm liking standby a lot it was a late rumored feature late reported feature from mark garman um it was clearly you know from even from just the reporting initially of this this is the precursor to what apple would want to do with a smart display you know that that's basically home pod with the screen you know what do you do with the screen um this is a lot of it yeah, I mean, it's even more than I expected it to be, honestly. Yeah, like, yeah. when the rumor was out, I was like, oh, this will be, like, you know, an early precursor to stuff they're working on. But, like, literally, they could take the UI they have on standby and just put it on a standalone product. Like, yeah. the Siri experience looks exactly like a, you know, a Siri speaker that would have. Like, it, it's pretty well done, I was, like, finished. I was at the airport on Tuesday night, and I was flying United, and they recently put out a United live activity that I actually found really useful, like, more useful than just having your um your 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 boarding pass on your lock screen um and and then on the way home and i so use it on the way um 
to uh, Cupertino, and then on the way back from Cupertino, I I got to use the the nightstand version of the live activity. And as I was at the airport charging my MacBook and iPhone and using my MacBook, I just I just propped the iPhone up on landscape mode. And the live activity, it was like I had my own dedicated status board for my flight that was like loaded with information, very dense. Um, and it was, it was actually kind of useful. It was like a countdown to when boarding was and, and all these other things. Um, and then a, a couple other things, like I find that I'm in running the beta, I'm, I'm leaving my, my iPhone on the charger and like I've got a MagSafe charger from Belkin. That's one of those combo things with the watch charger on the side and then Qi charging on the bottom. And I've always put the phone there in um, portrait orientation because why not? Um, screen just goes off anyway. But now I'm doing it in landscape orientation because then you'll get standby. And I'm finding that I'm like leaving the iPhone there when I leave the room and like just picking it up less because it's like serving a purpose. Like it's a glanceable clock or it's a glanceable um, weather widget or both, or um, it's showing your, your, um, your photos and, and photos is kind of cool because you have to have your iPhone unlocked for it to do, to, for it to present your photos, your memories that it's going to play through. And so to do that, they've, they've, they have explicit on the iPhone landscape face ID support. Like even the face animation, the little icon is, is landscape orientation. So it's flipped there and you've got your passcode that you can enter in as well. But um, it, I, I'm, I've enjoyed this. I think that, that, you know, I, I don't know, can, can third party apps add to this besides live activities? I think it's just live activities and widgets. Yeah. yeah. The, the first screen that it goes to is like a two, it's like a two column. So it takes two squares side by side that you flip through and customize. And it's pretty limited for now what it can show there. That's on the leftmost, you know, area if you think about it virtually. And then in the middle, you've got photos and some other things. Um, music, for example. Um, if you've got a, a live activity or like a now playing, um, something playing from now playing then there's an icon in the middle for that as well and then to the right most side you've got like dedicated clocks that you can swipe through and, and long press and customize and i i'm really liking this I, i'd like more control over like what it defaults to because right now it's going to that very first screen every time when it starts up initially and then over you know as as this thing is not like brand new i'd like to see more uh i'd like to see third-party app support if it isn't there and then i'd like to see it on the ipad as well because that's an even bigger screen that you might want to like just display and charge up and see from far away but standby as, as a late reported feature it's one of the, my favorite parts of ios 17 and the only and problem i have is that yeah. i don't have a way to charge my phone horizontally at the moment so well you, you can charge with the cable and then pro- put it down and lean it up, it and that, up. Yeah. That, that's what i was doing in the airport but it's definitely way better with MagSafe. Um, and, they didn't and, announce a Belkin collaboration at, on Monday, but I'm sure there will be a collaboration I, by the time it's, it ships um, in September. I think what they showed was a 12 South Forte charging stand, and 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 it's true that like MagSafe for flat, um, but on those like three in one combos, it's not straight up, but it's a it's a little bit angled so that mm-hmm. you can like see it from above on your table when you're looking down at it, and that actually works really well. Like it's it's enough of an it's not angled so far back that it's like straight up and it knows that it's in landscape and it, and it brings up this, this mode. So um, I think it'll work with a lot of existing accessories already, even, even except for, you know, something that's just straight up flat, unless you were to lean it up against something. But 
yeah, I'm, I'm liking this a lot. And, and it, it just reminds me of the days when the iPad had a little photo button on the lock screen, and then you could yep. do a slideshow of your pictures. And standby is notably not on the iPad this year. Not on the iPad. And also, I mean, I don't think the reporting was, 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 was I said this, but I thought about it as a, a lot of it being like a, a another feature of the always on display that the, that the iPhones could do. Mm-hmm. And not in consideration of what non always on display phones could do while charging, and, and that charging requirement is there, which, and and it's all iPhones that run iOS seventeen, so it's everything that uh, iOS sixteen could run except for the iPhone eight and ten. So yes, it's, it, they did a good job on this feature that was reported late and you know didn't really leak out until the very end. Yeah, we hundred percent agree. Uh, that was basically it for the big sections of the iOS portion. There was a couple of little things they put on the slide and called out. Um, you don't have to activate Siri with the word hey anymore. This was rumored like last year, but basically now they you can choose to have it so that you just say Siri and it wakes up to you, which is good in the sense that it's less syllables, but also potentially dangerous and that false positive activations seem really likely, but... We'll find out, and there is you can turn it off if if it becomes a problem. I'm, uh, I'm I'm using it, and the way I'm thinking about it is that before you had Hey and Siri, and that was the combination, and now I'm thinking about it more as like blank audio and Siri. Whereas I think like if you're like saying it in the middle of a sentence, then maybe it wouldn't be so abrupt, like it, it wouldn't pick it up as much as if you were beginning the sentence with Siri, then then you're going to have a false positive, I think. But Yeah, I also I wonder whether it's kind of waiting for like the intonation of a question afterwards or something. Because like, mm-hmm. it does seem like... In, I, I, I've tested it a couple of times and like the initial time... You know like when you say, hello, Siri? Yeah. Um, it kind of like wakes up immediately and it's like mm-hmm. starts transcribing. What I found, and this might just be purely anecdotal, but what I found with the Siri activation is that you kind of say the word and then you keep speaking for a bit longer before it's like, oh yeah, you're talking to me and then it wakes up and carries on. Um, so Siri. they've got like a bit of buffer on either side, yeah. Yeah, my iPad was was picking it up before and now it's just now it's just hanging out without saying anything afterwards. So I think you're right. They did a good job with this. Yeah. And I, I I know this was reported last year, but I didn't really know it was going to be this year. So when it, when it was presented, I was like, oh, cool, nice. Yeah, it's a nice feature. Uh, and also now if you're in the Siri view, like the transcript, you can ask follow-up questions or follow-up queries without having to say the activation phrase again. So like you say, you know, hello Siri, what's the weather? And then it will give you an answer and then you can say, what about tomorrow? And it will just immediately do that question too, which makes it yeah. a lot more elegant. Yeah. Um, Maps has a nice feature. Offline maps now. You can download a map region for offline. So if you go out of network access, you can still route uh which is really nice and long awaited and i'm happy that's there and the people album in photos will now recognize pets cats and dogs can be part of your family individually addressable with their own name and recognized as part of the people album in photos yeah which yep. i think I've, you wanted right <laughs> I mean, i wasn't like asking for it but when they presented it i was like oh cool and i've and i've gone through and i've um i i searched for um dogs 2023 and so i have a new i have a new dog this year and her name is nova um got her in march or in the february and so i went went back and i i chose like one photo and added nova had no luck with like the find more of of this 
face, but I did I did keep going through and, and adding more of Nova. Um, and then, like one of the things that would happen before if you just searched dog was it was always going to be like every dog in your photo library. You know, even if you're looking for like your your current pet. Um, so you you would also see like past dogs and every other dog you've ever taken a photo of. So. Um, this is this is cool. Now I can just type in Nova, and it'll bring up at least the ones that I've assigned. And I assume over time it'll be smarter about being able to find more faces. And there's also a really cute dog icon in photos <laughs> now, which is it's like a button version of look up and, mm. and see the the type of dog that you photographed. And uh, I think it's just really cute. It's a little dog. It's like dog cow, but it's not dog cow. It's just dog. So that is iOS 17, obviously in developer beta right now, public beta in July, and release in the fall probably in September with the iPhone 15. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by Mosul. Managing apps and devices at works shouldn't be difficult. Mosul makes it easy. As the leader in modern mobile device management and security for Apple in the enterprise, Mosul offers solutions for every stage of your business. Are you just starting out? Well, try Mosul Business free and receive the complete mobile device management feature set of Mosul Business Premium for up to 30 devices at no charge. Looking to address all of your Apple endpoint needs, Mosul Fuse has you covered. Their cloud-native offering combines enterprise-grade mobile device management, identity management, automated installing and patching of applications, and multi-layer endpoint security. Wherever you are in your Apple device journey, Mosul is there to support you. With a focus on usability, automation, and the best support on the market, Mosul delivered a new approach to Apple device management that is more powerful, efficient, and more affordable than legacy solutions. To learn more, visit business.mosul.com. That's business.mosul.com. Try Mosul Business free and receive the complete mobile device management feature set of Mosul Business Premium for up to 30 devices at no charge. Thanks to Mosul for sponsoring the show. Next up is iPad OS. Which is here? a pretty small section, I would say. Obviously, it gets all the same features that the iPhone got this year, apart from all the nice features like standby. <laughs> but it does also get the catch-up release from iOS 16. So you get customizable lock screens, um, just like iOS 16. The astronomy wallpaper, the lock screen in particular, looks pretty sweet on the iPad. You can change the time font weight now. So rather than having like four options, there's a little slider. Um, the widgets kind of fit in this left-hand pane on the side. So on the iPhone, and this is still the case with iOS 17, you get like one row of widgets with like three or four spaces. On the iPad, you get an entire left column, so you can fit a lot more in. Um, and just like the iPhone now, the iPad puts live activities at the bottom of the screen on the lock screen. Um I wish they would get in sync so you iPad customers didn't have to wait a whole extra year just to get the features the iPhone got a year before, but at least they're caught up again. Um, they also introduced in this section the idea of interactive widgets. Um, so you can have buttons and toggles in third-party widgets now that you can tap on without them launching the app and actually do an action directly from there. So, for instance, they showed off the reminders widget. It has a list of reminders. You can tap on one to complete it, and it disappears with a nice animation directly on the widget without you having to open the thing. Uh, this also unlocks home widgets now for the first time, like home widgets that actually control accessories. So like you can make a widget for a particular light. You just tap on the widget, it turns the light on and off. You can start playing music, etc., etc. This works for third-party apps as well as Apple's own apps. Uh, it still works with the old system of like, you know, 
the timeline widget key experience. So there's a bit of indirection. So when you do a user interaction, you can only do a button press or a toggle switch. You can't do anything else. And when that happens, the actual action gets relayed to the application extension in the background. So there is some potential for like lag or delay there and limitation on what can be done. At least in my testing with the home app widget, it's really responsive, but we will wait and see. I know there's a lot of situations where like third party widgets get throttled when first party widgets don't. Although I did look at the developer documentation and it specifically says that if you are like, so obviously the, those those widget timeline refreshes limits still apply, but if you're in doing it in response to a user interaction, it's guaranteed to get a refresh. So the idea is that if you do a button press or a toggle switch on a widget, it will always update promptly, at least in theory. Yeah, uh, but it's yeah. a nice little addition. Obviously, the widget system, I love the widget system they introduced originally, and this just gives it a little bit of extra functionality um, where you need it for stuff like toggling a light switch on and off. I'm, I'm liking interactive widgets in, in their current form uh, as they make this smart stack widget feature more useful if you're playing audio or recently played audio for music or podcast for example you get a play button there and uh you know it saves you from uh, swiping down and going to the play button or long pressing the dynamic island if it's still there or opening the app and doing the play button so it's right there where, where you you know where, where you already are so i found that useful the health app is finally on the ipad now so Woo. I, it, it's a pretty standard translation of the iphone version you know you have the iphone app now you have a sidebar and a double width main view on it's the so iPad good, where you can though. see the charts. It's, it is good. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it is good. It's good. Like the, the, the benefit of this, is, I wish it was on the Mac. It is not on the Mac yet. Um, but the benefit of it is like on the iPhone, it's iPhone screen size. Even if you have an iPhone, you know, Max, it's still iPhone screen sized. Whereas on the iPad, like one of the things about the health app is that, you know, the, the benefits of it, the use cases of it is you get to see things in context. You get to see... You know, your sleep next to your dieting next to, you know, if you're doing that next to your exercise and maybe alcohol intake and all those things and see how it affects you. And it's like, why, why do I feel this way? Why am, why am I having this result in some other area? Well, context, here's all this stuff together. And on the iPhone, you kind of need to do a lot of scrolling to even see like one thing. And so it's up to you to keep remembering like, what did I just see? What did I see a moment ago? And on the iPad, it's one view. And let's just take, for example, I'm looking at the mental well-being section, the new section. Um, and it shows me for today, just t- today on um, exercise minutes, 17 minutes, time in daylight, 15 minutes, um, state of mind, and then the entry for that, sleep, seven hours, eight minutes, mindful minutes, one. Um, and it's all there, and like I can just see it. And if I had any more information, it'll be there as well. So, or, or if you go to summary, you know, you get these all the nice graphs and everything. But I, I really like that it's just a bunch of information that you can see all at once. Ver- which is why it needs to go on the Mac as well, because then it could go full screen and really show you a lot of stuff. But being able to see more is useful. And then when they've added features over the, the, the past few years, like sharing, for example, you know, you can share your your health data with somebody else, you know, family member, or you can see theirs, or you can share with your, your doctor. But um, with sharing, if you want to check in with somebody or you want to share your own, doing that from the iPad. Seeing it on the iPad, it's one more place than just the iPhone, and so uh, really, really cool there. I wish it was on the Mac, but glad to have it on the iPad as well this time. And they had a PDF section, uh, Woo, which basically yes. means it's easier to fill out forms of PDFs that you get sent. They're like there's there's a whole mini ecosystem of PDF apps on the App Store, which exist basically so people can just like 
fill in the fields on a PDF and send them back. And so now it's kind of built in. Obviously, those PDF apps will still exist for the more complex use cases. But the simple case of someone sends you a PDF with like spaces for name, address, and it's so hard to edit it normally. Now the iPhone or the iPad will just detect those gaps, autofill in your name and contact information, and you can reply and send it right back, which is really nice. And yeah. they have PDF editing integrated into the Notes app, so you can with full annotation and live collaboration. So if you're a student, you can bring your PDF into Notes and like edit it with somebody else in real time, which is kind of cool. I've always thought that I'm just like missing something about PDFs. Like I get a PDF to fill out a form before I go to the doctor or the dentist or whatever, and they've sent me the form and they say, "Please fill this out," and I, and I open up Preview and I can fill in some boxes and not others, and a lot of times I have to do like um. You know, draw it, draw it in the box, or enter. You know, do like a text overlay, and then resize it and place it in the right place versus just typing in a field that you think you'd be able to do. Um, and and I've learned that there's just lots and lots of types of even the PDF standard PDF files and like the way that they were created. And, and in some cases, you need Adobe Acrobat to actually do it. Like if they were made there and they're fancy and they're not quite. Well, and in some cases, what the PDF is is just a image that's been scanned in. Lots of it, times, this is and an it image. doesn't have like. The actual because if right now on on iOS and on the Mac, if you have a PDF that has an actual PDF field embedded, you can just directly click on it and type yeah. in it. Yeah. But ninety percent of companies in the world do not make PDFs the way they're supposed to. Like so, yeah, most PDF of them are just scanned type, images. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So most of them are just scanned images. And so what Apple's having to do here, and this is what a lot of these apps do, it's not like a novel idea, but basically they do machine learning to look at the image, work out where the boxes are, and then say, okay, you can actually type in here. Yeah, this is why it's been like one of the iPad benefits is you have an iPad and Apple Pencil or another stylus, and you can just draw over the PDF like it's paper. Mm -hmm. Um, On the Mac, not that easy. (laughs) So if this makes it, like if if it works as advertised, I will be so relieved because like... In, in the case of a recent doctor, um, you know, uh, fill this out before you arrive thing, I hacked my way around it and got it done. And then I had one for, for the dentist. And I was like, it's, it's, I could probably just show up and not have this and just do it in person. And that's what I did. Cause it was like, am I really going to print it out, fill it out, and then upload it? It's not, not more, I know they'll get it sooner, but not really more convenient than just doing it there. And that's what I did. Um, so if you can actually, if it works as advertised, it, it, it I felt like it was me, like like I just wasn't good at PDFs, and there was something I'm I was missing. I'm the problem. Missing. It's me. Yeah, and and it feels good to know that no, images are just PDF file formats, and of course you can't do much with that, and and maybe now you can. So, and and I don't want to get into the world of like paying for apps and subscriptions yeah, just exactly. for, for PDFs that I use like once. Well, I never want to do PDFs, but when I have to, I have to. You know, so. this is a perfect feature that should just be built in, and yes. now it is. Yep. Uh, Stage manager got a shout out. Nothing Ooh. revolutionary here, but basically yeah. it seems like they have made a, a, a reasonable improvement to the way that um, window positioning and sizing works. In short, they've just made it less smart, so they just let you put windows where you want, more flexibility to overlap windows, resize them, lay them out and tile them. Your windows don't fly around as much anymore. It's much closer to like the stage manager experience that you get on the Mac, but on the iPad. So um, at least early impressions from Chance uh, and Underfed Mac. I know Federico Vitici at Mac Stories. They're very happy with the way this works now. So much better. Yeah. I'm doing it right now in the freedom to resize in the way that you, like like you said, they've taken away some intelligence and that's good. Like, yep. 
Yeah. Uh, limitations. I mean, still the amount of windows you're allowed to, to do before iOS, iPad OS decides that it can't support it. So then you've got like ones disappearing. What, what are you, you're like four apps is the limit right now, I believe, right? Unless you do a second display on a supported iPad and then you can do eight. Like that's still such a limit compared to even stage manager on the Mac, you know, or how the Mac works in general. But yeah. That's an improvement. Yep, nice, nice little improvement. Shame it took a whole year for that to come out, but here we are. Uh, you can also now connect USB cameras to the iPad and use them instead of the integrated webcam. This includes if you're connecting to a studio display or another external display that has a webcam in it, you can now use the webcam uh, of the display instead of the iPad camera, which is nice if you are using the iPad in that way where you're using it at a desk with a screen, right? Because you don't you, want to you be going over to the iPad screen. You know what you can't do with external webcams, though? Can't do the thumbs up reaction thing that we'll, you know, we'll discuss. Oh, that's yeah. just. It's got to be an Apple webcam. I mean, unbelievable. Why do they even bother? <laughs> uh, and then finally, in the iPad section, uh, they just shouted out a couple of little freeform features uh, new watercolor and fountain pen drawing tools. And they have a follow along option so you can watch somebody else move around a document, which is quite a nice idea. Um, that a lot of other of these like collaboration apps have, but now Freeform has it too. I haven't reused really Freeform since it came out last year, but it's a cool app for people that do have uses for it. Yep. Okay, now we can get to the pronunciation problem. Okay. Because now it's Ma- time for macOS Sonoma. No, How would you Ma- say Mac- Macosonoma. Sonoma. No, macOS Sonoma, you're right. Sonoma, okay. Yep. yep. I definitely won't forget that. Okay. I didn't have any clue what this place was. Federighi says it's an awesome vineyard. Uh, so we say vineyard. We say vineyard. vineyard. That, I do say vineyard. I don't know. I just read it like an idiot. Okay. Uh, Mac Sonoma. Uh, one of its headline features is that the aerial screensavers that have been on the Apple TV for like seven years are now on the Mac as this, and they they're like this new screensaver type, right? Like they're like combination of lock screen and desktop wallpaper. Yeah, right? like they're, they're not actually screensavers. So if you use like Arial or some other app to get the Apple TV ones, then you can still benefit from that. But in this case, you're right. Yeah, they move on the lock screen that you spend so much time at, and then they're static. I think on the, on the desktop, but they can change. Like if you go through the different ones, then you'll have I guess different different wallpapers. But they're not screensavers. They're not screensavers. As far know. as I know, I don't think they're screensavers. Like they're, they they're, say they're, during the like what you say matches with what I've seen other people say. But during the keynote, they Federighi literally calls them screensavers. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. He, he did say that in beta, yeah. in, in at least beta one. You know, could could change, but at least in beta one, because I don't really it's not a screensaver like, option. I want to use them as screensavers. Like. I, I don't ever see my lock screen really. That's like. what, yeah, that's what I sarcastically reference. It's like, yeah. I mean, how often do you look at your lock? I mean, it's a nice effect. On, on it's the lock it's screen. just a different paradigm to like the iPhone and the iPad, right? Like the lock screen yeah. is far less important. Yeah. yeah. They like have I, brought. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They have brought <laughs> widgets to the desktop now. This is something I've been asking for for several years because up until now, you had widgets stuck behind the no man's land of notification center which nobody uses on mac at least i don't um because it's shut off in that weird sidebar and i've always wanted to just like get the widgets visible somewhere like make the sidebar fixed in place so it's always visible or just let me put the widgets onto the desktop and now you can so now you can just drag out widgets directly onto the desktop right next to your files and folders uh when you have app windows front and focused 
the the widgets kind of like fade out but not like alpha fade it's like a like a weird translucent tint thing um i almost think it's like more distracting than them not fading out but there is a setting where you can turn off the fading out part it looks it looks cool like i, I tried one with the stock with the stock widget just to see what these are like and having it blend in with your wallpaper in the background is is easier like it's easier to focus on the window that you're working with than than if it were like like I say it kind of goes like light blue in, in my on my background different shades of blue and that's less distracting than if it was like a bunch of red and green arrows and and a black widget window uh, and I this is good on the on the desktop I have when I use the studio display I've got a lot of room on the desktop that I can see and that, that I can put widgets on but on the laptop i'm using my i don't have i don't see the desktop <laughs> cover so i don't i don't know if i'll use this but they had a gaming section mm-hmm. where now they have a game mode which is automatic when you launch a game full screen and i don't know why it didn't do this before but now mac os will prioritize cpu and gpu resources for the frontmost game to give it more consistent frame rates and lowering audio and input latency um, and background tasks are deprioritized uh, there's also a metal game porting toolkit which helps bring pc games over to the mac so this is aimed at developers obviously uh, there's like a whole translation layer that can help shift apps from pc to mac faster or at least preview it so you, like pc game developers can at least get an idea of the kind of performance they can expect from the mac and then if they actually do the conversion for real the performance will be even better um, so it's just a way to evangelize to the pc world of AAA titles like make games for mac um, and so this is their latest attempt to help do that. Uh, and then they had Hideo Kashima, uh, who is a very esteemed developer, come out and introduce Death Stranding for Mac, which is a you know three or four year old game, uh, but it's very pretty. And now it's coming to Mac soon. And he says he's he's actively working to bring our future titles at the studio to Apple platforms as well. So this kind of reminds me of um, Resident Evil Village last year, right? It's just like insert a new game that's not actually new to the pc but it's new to the mac so here we go it looks pretty and it's shipping at some point that you can buy and play but the real news here is the metal game porting toolkit because if they can use that to convince more pc publishers to make mac games that's only what matters right not one or two isolated cases that apple's got to for the keynote you know mm-hmm. uh, these video effect things you kind of mentioned before but there's the video reactions where you can like put thumbs up and it puts like a thumbs up emoji over you or balloons or confetti um you can also just do them manually in the video effects bar and control center and then the other video effect type is called presenter overlay and so what this does is it isolates you from the webcam either as a small bubble or as a larger um like portrait style and it puts you superimposed on the top of your desktop so if you're doing screen sharing you don't actually have to go into screen sharing mode you can just be on the webcam input but it just changes what's actually getting sent through the webcam to be this kind of composite of you and the window right so it's and and because it's just a webcam feature it means it can work it doesn't it's not just like a facetime exclusive thing it can work with zoom or webex or or any application yeah we played around with it before we started and there was this new effect (laughs) thunderstorm (laughs) (laughs) and that's like one of the um you know kind of reaction effects where it's just like a short thing but i actually thought before even i saw that thunderstorm 
uh, animation. I thought, yeah, he could, you could be an at-home weatherman with this feature. You know, you don't need to stand in front of a green screen. You could <laughs> have a keynote slide deck of like weather forecast and you know use this feature to put yourself in front of it. And all of a sudden, yeah, the animated reactions are just like gimmicks, but the presenter overlay thing does actually have some actual utility. So yeah. some people will use that. Um, and then Safari has a couple of different things. Private browsing uh, now locks the window with like Touch ID or Face ID, so you can't get to your tabs without authentication. Um, you can now do pass key and password sharing with a group of people. This is really nice. So instead of having individual private passwords, you can share them end-to-end encrypted with you know a few people. This makes it even more of a one-password replacement because one of the big one-password features is like the shared vault thing. Yep. But now you don't need that. Now you can just do it with iCloud Keychain. So that's really nice. Do you use iCloud Keychain or 1Password these days? I lost track. I am 100% iCloud Keychain. You're iCloud, okay, yeah. So am I. So am I. Uh, but before, password sharing wasn't possible, and now it is, so I can actually use that. Uh, and then also Safari has this profiles concept now, which basically has sandboxes that you make up. So they each individual like profile has a separate uh, cookie store, separate history, separate extensions, separate bookmarks and favorites. And they just show up on a little bar and you can sort of switch between them. So you can have a profile for home, a profile for work, a profile for studying and, you know, flip back and forth and kind of concentrate and have different logins and different accounts. So like if you have a website that you have two different accounts for, one for work and one for play, you can just make a separate profile and then you can be logged into both and you can just switch between them in different windows, which is a nice little feature. And the thing that I'm really looking forward to is the ability to make web apps on the Mac. So any website you can turn into a web app. It appears in the dock as its own standalone icon. You click on it, it opens and launches as a standalone separate window. And I currently use Chrome solely, essentially, to make TweetDeck run as a web app. But the Chrome feature is nowhere near as polished as what they're showing here for Safari. Because the Safari one, you can choose a custom icon, you can make it look nice. And I don't really like Chrome anyway. The only reason I have it there is for to make TweetDeck work. So now, with macOS Sonoma, uh, I can just make a web app instead, right? Yeah, I've, I've done this, I, and I was using Chrome for the same reason. I tried Unite, I think is the name of the app, um, and, and that's one of the long-time Mac apps that lets you turn websites into applications, and um, you, you get a lot more uh, like features with, with that in terms of like multiple windows and all sorts of things. And customization in this case with, with Chrome, I was using Chrome after I was I couldn't quite master Unite, and I was having like a really bad memory issue with TweetDeck getting way out of hand and like halting my computer. Um, so I tried Chrome, sim- way simpler to, to do that. I uh, was using Chrome Canary because the icon for Chrome's ugly. Uh, when we, I, I did a custom icon for TweetDeck, like the old-fashioned way where you command I on the icon and in the Finder, and then paste in the one that you just made. Um, like the default for TweetDeck was like a square TweetDeck logo. It was huge. And and uh, the Twitter, the Safari version uses like the Twitter favicon um, from the web and it makes it the shape. I guess it just happens to be the shape of, of the, well, it uses the shape of like a Mac icon uh, these mm. days because um, Instagram uses the same shape, but the icon itself is the circle favicon with an Instagram camera inside. So it's a little bit ugly. Um, but when you, when you make these, like it's, they call it add to dock. You go to, I think in Safari, you go to file and then add to dock and then it prompts you to um, give the give the um, 
new web app that you've made a name. You can select the icon and choose another icon from Finder if you want to do that. Um, and, and that's it. So I found it like the biggest use case for me was I was having to run run Chrome using it with Safari is that the links open in Safari. So before with TweetDeck as a, as a Chrome web app, I had a Chrome window that was just all the links lay open from TweetDeck, but in Chrome, even though Safari was my default browser. In this case now, because it is a Safari feature, it's opening links in Safari. I, I tried, I've done Instagram just to like test it out. I'm using TweetDeck like actually practically. I tried doing... In WordPress, I, I have a bookmark for add new post to 9to5Mac so that I click a button and I'm already like in where you write a post on the web for the website. I tried making that a, a, a web app on the dock, and it was really cool until I was finished, and I, and I wanted to share the, the um, URL of the post that I'd made with the, the copy editor. And I, I realized there's there's you can't, you don't grab the URL from that. And when you – like the, the, the web app is a URL – and when you save the draft, it becomes another URL, and so, and and I actually like that. Like you, you weren't doing tabbing within that window. It was its own web app, and there was you just opened links in, in Safari. Um, that that was kind of cool for focus. It was like and, and then command um, tabbing from multitasking. I can easily go from the the window I'm writing in, like a native Mac app would do. Um, except like with nine to five Mac, we don't like as writers, we don't have control over logging in with with, with native. WordPress apps like Mars Edit, for example, um, for different security levels of, that we don't have access to, but um, using it for, for with, with Safari Add to Dock, it was just that share share the URL and also preview. I, as part of the workflow, I'll click on the preview and um, open it there, and I couldn't quite figure out how to get that to Safari when it was its own like thing right there. So, um, so some limitations for like that very niche workflow. But in terms of just like making like what they show is like using your favorite websites for apps that are on your phone and making them apps on your dock. And they're also available in Launchpad. Uh, tw- uh, Chrome puts them in Finder and like it's Chrome app folder. I don't know if they show up in Finder. I haven't found them yet, but very cool feature. Just like Profiles, you know, Chrome feature that's been there for ages and now they're on Safari coming come in version 17. Yep. And then they transition to an audio and home section because they still don't really acknowledge like whatever OS the HomePod runs or whatever OS the AirPods run. Um, This was introduced with Craig playing a triple guitar, which was hilarious. Uh, The AirPods section, the main big feature there is this adaptive audio thing, which blends transparency and noise cancelling depending on the context. So they showed it like walking around Apple Park, it would immerse you in your music, but then if like a marching band came by, that would take over because they're nearby. If someone speaks to you, you can talk back and it will isolate the voice and dim everything else into the background. Um, It's one of those features that just looks really really useful um assuming it works as advertised right i haven't got to try this yet i think it's airpods pro 2 exclusive sounds right have you used it uh i have not yet because you've got to get your airpods on the beta version on the beta, yeah <laughs> yeah and i think like the clearest way to do that is with the xcode i don't have xcode installed um and even even that route <laughs> you know it's a pain yeah it's a pain yeah it is a, yeah like it's it's you don't have a user interface for it right it's the firmware that you need to hopefully hope hope yeah magically ingest into your airpods somehow yeah yeah but at least in theory adaptive audio is a great feature 
people are using it and like they've they've managed to update people that we work with um and, and they're saying that it's just it's amazing i I, I do want to go through whatever process is involved to get this working and try it out. Um, it, I mean, the idea of having noise cancellation on and then someone speaks to you and you can hear them without having to pause it or take out your earpod, AirPod, it, it's pretty pretty cool. Uh, you know, I, I think the taking out of your ear to pause makes you know actually pause the audio is cool. But um, if you it, just just working automatically is nice. Uh, I, I wonder some about like wanting to <laughs> use noise cancellation to not hear people talking around you like on a plane. And then, you know, obviously you can turn off this mode. Um, but, I, but I wonder like if you prefer to use this mode most of the time, then will, will there be times where like, I need to change this mode. I need to go back to just noise cancellation. Cause yeah. And this up. mode lives or dies based on how much it can read your mind in terms of what you actually want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if it, if it, if it makes the wrong choice too many times, you'll just turn it off and do it manually. Uh huh. Uh, they also have this personalized volume feature that, quote, learns your volume preference over time. Not quite sure how that works, but I guess depending on your environment, they're going to make the volume go up and down automatically more in line with what you choose rather than just doing like a stock algorithm. And they promise that automatic switching of AirPods between devices is now significantly faster tra- to transition from a Mac to an iPhone or iPhone to, a, to an iPad, etc. The only thing I'll call it here specifically is that adaptive audio is AirPods Pro 2 exclusive and doesn't support AirPods Max. So that's a bit of a bummer if you bought those $500 headphones. They seem pretty left behind. Apple should update them. They're, they should update them. They're, uh, but they they're haven't. Not, they're they're yeah. not new anymore. They're great, but not new. Yep. Um, AirPlay got a shout out. Uh, like we said before, there's more um, proactive suggestions to start an AirPlay session based on machine learning. You can relay to the HomePod AirPlay just with your voice. So their example was that if you say to the HomePod in the house, play Arlo Parks on SoundCloud, it will realize that there's no SoundCloud app for the HomePod. So it will go to the iPhone, start the SoundCloud app on the iPhone, and then connect the AirPlay to the HomePod. So you get kind of like a a relayed experience, but you can support a lot more apps that way because obviously loads of apps exist on the iPhone and they support the necessary um, like SiriKit integration uh, compared to the HomePod, which has Apple Music, Pandora, and that's about it. Uh, yeah, so w- would work with Overcast. They showed the icon there as mm-hmm. part of the presentation. Um, I, I wonder if I could if I could ask Siri a question on the HomePod that I'm looking for an answer to, and, and that it tells me I can search again on the iPhone. I wonder if it would just run that. I wonder if it could. I doubt it does, but run that search on my iPhone instead. Like when I do it, and I get that response. My son knows I'm going to like huff and puff about it, and so <laughs> he does that now too. He's like, "That's the worst," or it's "So bad," because he just hears me doing that. Like, you know. So at least on one update, it did actually do that. Like, you'd ask the HomePod, and it would just do the search on the phone, mm-hmm. um, and show you the results on the phone. But it stopped doing that for some reason. I have no idea why. Um, there's this new collaboration they're doing with hotels. They didn't name partners, but they're basically trying to make it so that AirPlay is more pervasive in the real world, so outside of the home environment. Um, and so basically, if you go into a supported hotel on the TV, there'll be an AirPlay QR code. You scan that, and it connects an AirPlay session to that compatible television set, uh, which is a great feature if anybody actually does it. So I'll, I'll wait with bated breath on that one. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned this earlier, but SharePlay to the car is a new thing they're trying, where when CarPlay is active, any nearby device will be prompted to join 
the shared play session so you can do a shared music playlist etc etc which is a nice feature a nice idea and yeah. something that will actually be uh, realized immediately unlike the hotel thing which will take months and years before anybody does it yeah i'm, I'm sending you now over a message the picture of the qr code um that that that's that's for i think it's also um with this feature you don't have to your, your passengers don't have to be apple music subscribers right yeah it, it, it runs off of your subscription so that's that's pretty cool yeah, yeah that's pretty cool so yeah, yeah that the qr code kind of like directs you directly to that specific playlist i think mm-hmm. that works. and maybe it works with android too don't know yet yeah. um, tvos 17 was included in this audio and home kind of like top category yeah. but it actually got um despite being like a a derivative section it actually got a decent update this year more than i was expecting so they've moved control center from uh just be, being behind the home button on the remote to actually having a bit of a physical ui on the home screen which is nice so you can more visibly see um the different options for control center like it's a, it's a clock on the top right now there's a clock in the corner finally now and it shows the profile icon of the current user so you know multi-user on apple tv doesn't live up to you know its potential because not enough apps integrate with it but if they do if for the ones that do including like the tv app it was always annoying to be like somebody sits down in front of the tv and they forget to change user but now there's a big profile icon in the corner to like remind you like this is the person who's logged in uh you might want to change it um, I've, I've added my kids to as users for the first time now that is practical yep i wish they would put like touch id on the remote or something so it was automatic but at least now there's a massive visual indicator that you need to change login. Uh, they've added a Find My Remote feature to the iPhone. Uh, obviously, the Apple TV remote does not have like a U1 chip or a sound beeper thing. So I think this thing kind of works like over Bluetooth connectivity range, kind of like how they did the nearby phone experience for the original AirPods. And I'll tell you what, the original AirPods phone experience did not work very well. And so I don't have much hope for this feature. It's not in the current betas. Um, it shows that they, they're aware of the problem, though, and that the next hardware for the remote will have Find My. We'll fix then. it. Yeah, yeah. It's a big 180 from that interview with the previous head of home at Apple, <laughs> where he said, "I don't understand why anybody would lose their Apple TV remote, so that feature is not necessary." Um, at least now they acknowledge it's actually a problem, and so, like you say, when there's a next generation Siri remote around, I'm sure it will now actually support Find My properly. Yeah. Which couch cushion is this remote in? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, there's a tiny update to the screens that you have on Apple TV. Now there's more integration with Photos Memories and um, with some new transitions that are pretty cool. Uh, but the big thing is they brought FaceTime to Apple TV. Uh, the Apple TV hasn't sprouted its own webcam. They're using continuity camera. Um, so you put your iPhone in front of the TV set and you can do continuity camera FaceTime calls through the Apple TV app or any other compatible app because there's going to be a continuity camera api for tvos and they said that zoom and webex will be launching on tvs later this year so just like standby this is like a offshoot of the development and research into making a homepod camera soundbar thing but that's not ready so what do we have we have the facetime app via the iphone's camera yeah now i think of continuity camera uh in terms of being uh, using as a webcam as an iPhone only feature, because the way that it's we've used it so far is on your Mac, you can take a picture from your iPhone, have it there. You can you can prop your iPhone up as use a, use a mount, and it can be your webcam on the Mac. 
In this case, also works with the iPad, so that's cool. Because that's nice, the, actually. Yeah, I think the yeah. iPad might be like, you know, people have stands for those, like you know, easier to just position over there. And also, like I, I kind of feel like if I'm on FaceTime on my phone, I'm just gonna use the phone. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not gonna want to put my phone over there, but if I'm, you know, if the iPad's just like free, then just put it over there. And, and, and this feature is just like a. Yeah, we're making an Apple TV with a camera, but it's not out yet. So that's right. That's this right. is what we've got. Yep, and and they—I didn't know this until you mentioned it. They—they they made the icon, the home screen, denser. When instead of having five columns or you know five icons per per row, it's now six. Six. Yeah, which is actually nice because there are quite a lot of streaming apps, and the Apple yep. TV is still a streaming app centric model in terms of you know opening and closing apps, and. It was quite hard picking my favorite five to go on the dock. So now yeah. you can have an extra space. You can have extra one. And the um, dock special because that's where you get to see up next. You know, you, you see want. the yeah, you see the top shelf and stuff up there. Yeah, yeah. And when you have a sixty-five inch TV or whatever, those five mm-hmm. icons are pretty comically large. And with ah. six, it feels a bit better spaced out. Yeah. My TV's seventy-five inches, and I've always wished that it could be a little bit more dense. You know, because it's the mm-hmm. same as if the TV was twenty inches and seven twenty p, basically. Uh, you know that the tvOS same thing for watchOS we'll get to that in a little while but um, tvOS says hello in every language now like the Mac does and, and, and iOS has done for a little while when you first set it up I didn't see that yeah like, so the way I I've, saw I've it was, got my, my tvOS is running the beta yeah. but I didn't see I missed the hello yeah. so so what I got how I got to it was I wanted to see what the default icon arrangement was now with right the, okay yeah, yeah yeah so I just did a factory reset <laughs> <laughs> Because on the iPad, on the iPhone, you can do a reset home screen arrangement and the same thing on the watch, and you get back to what's stuck for that version. Um, and I'll often do that to see, like, what is Apple prioritizing that they make, you know, a new inbox arrangement for home screen. Um, you can't FaceTime do that. FaceTime was the, put on the dock, by the way. It was. It's the last mm-hmm. icon on the dock. So, uh, and it doesn't have a top, it doesn't have a, a, an up next or even, like, full screen thing there. It just shows the icon in gray. Yep. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's... They need to have a reset home screen arrangement there anyway, but they, they don't. So I did a whole reset, and that's how I got to hello. This is really cool. Yeah, it's nice. And there's um, some smaller like TVS stuff that they didn't mention in the keynote, like support for the latest W Vision standards. And there's a enhance uh, dialogue option, which mm. um, lowers the background noise and focuses on audio in the, to the center channel for people that have, you know, not the perfect studio speaker setup like most people. Yeah. So a lot of modern TV shows and films, you can barely hear the audio from the people speaking. So this feature tries to compensate for that, which is nice. Yeah, and you got picture-in-picture. Picture. I'm sorry if you mentioned it, but in the notes, but um, what what's there? Picture-in-picture picture while you're on FaceTime. So you uh. can have... You can have like the people you're talking to in one box while, and then while you're watching the content in a big box on the side, but not you know Apple TV sports style. Correct. Yeah, there was nothing. There's on nothing that. like that where it's like multiple views because you you can do picture in picture from a lot of apps on the Apple TV or at least the TV was TV app. But yeah, this layout is um, like the MLS thing, right? Where it's like boxes, so there's like one box for each. Like a FaceTime face call. call. Yeah. yeah. And then the other box is the actual thing you're looking at. But mm-hmm. there's not like a... They didn't bring like the, the, the quad box API to any app or anything like that. That that doesn't happen this time around. You know what I want though? I, I, just on first run, and I, the clock, you know, icon or digital clock up there on the, on the home screen is, you know, one way I think to get to control center besides using the remote. But I don't want to see the clock when I'm watching TV because uh, it's just something about me like time... If I'm relaxing, if I'm not like on a schedule, I don't want to know what time it is. Most of the time, I just want to escape, and so I don't want that on my TV on my home screen. 
I couldn't find a way to turn it off yet, but that's that's my beta one feedback. <laughs> a lot of people do want a clock on the Apple TV, so yeah. now it's there. Okay, watchOS 10, speaking of clocks. <laughs> uh, this is the big redesign, or semi-redesign, um, conceptually. Now you can scroll up from any watch face to reveal widgets in a kind of scrolling stack. Uh, there's also major app redesigns across the system with more emphasis on full-color backgrounds and top navigation bars with blurs and the title bars move to the side and the back button's huge for some reason. And each of the apps now kind of have a bigger focus on like vertically page scrolling. So like in the activity app, it's one page per graph for like the move ring, the exercise ring, um, and the stand ring. Or like in the weather app, it's one page per segment of information and you can either swipe or scroll the digital crown to flick through um and also the home screen has changes it's still in a honeycomb grid by default but now the honeycomb grid isn't two-dimensional it's only one-dimensional in the sense it's got that a fixed scroll width. up and down yeah it's got yeah. like a fixed width and you scroll up and down and they've taken away the center clock icon so before the the clock would be at the center of the honeycomb and everything would kind of, you know, swarm around it. it Whereas now it's it. more like a list with four icons per row, but with a prettier design with icons. And so wherever you are in that honeycomb grid, now you press the crown, it just kind of fades out to show your clock face because it doesn't have to like recenter back to the middle anymore. Yeah, I mean, um, that was a cool detail of like the transition. You know? Yeah, it was a cool transition. But but yeah. it's this is I think this is the best version of the honeycomb grid, best version of the nap launcher yet because I didn't love list view because it was alphabetical. You couldn't favorite things. Um, you couldn't pin things to the top. And, and, you know, if you wanted to go to weather, you needed to go through all the system maps and, you know, third-party apps and everything to get there. I think this is great. You know, it, it, like you mentioned, four apps wide. It, it goes three apps, four apps, three apps, four apps, and that's kind of how it makes that effect of, you know, still having this this cool user interface. I think this is so good. I've I've not tried rearranging things yet, but you 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 still can long press and rearrange things. Yep. Um, yeah. It and even that isn't as crazy as before when it would just get out of hand. And at the very bottom of this this view, you can tap into list view, and you, which is unchanged. Yeah. Yep, and it, it does change your mode. So you go list view, and then you need to go to the very bottom again and get back to grid view. Grid view, I love though. I think this is the best version of that. Um, yeah, so. and each because there's less um, space to drag around now. Each of the icons is just a tiny bit bigger, right? Right. Like, yep. There's less zooming, so you don't, you don't yeah, have I think that. It's a nice, um, yeah, yeah. You don't have that clock. You don't have that like even even when it had a clock. The magnification already. effect is reduced. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's like it's still a honeycomb grid, but it's more practical, and I like it a lot. What do you think about the like the watch widget thing? Uh, the watch, watch widget thing you scroll up. I think it's good. It's really, I think it's very well done. Um, the, the top of it is 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 going to be a fix. You know, like the top half of it when you first go into that mode, you know, it gives you the um, day and date, and then the time is like basically two widgets that are always there mm -hmm. the time as you noticed in me the time changes based on what clock face you're using if you're on an analog clock you get an analog clock there if you're on a digital watch face you get a digital clock there that's that's pretty clever um and then you just you can scroll up from there and you've got widgets and it really feels like you've got the siri watch face on every watch face yep. now yeah except 
it's way better than the series. Like, I don't think it does everything the series watch face can do yet, but I think they'll get there. But it's it's way more customizable because series watch face like had for one or two, like for two or thirty years they added new data data sources and you could toggle them on or off. But it was always like here's what Apple allows you to do. And then I think I think they even did like you know third party apps can do this if they want to support the series watch face, but you know not popular very you know enough to even make that a priority really. In this case, every app is going to want to have a widget for one reason or another and and, and they're they're it's understandable how this works it's um, customizable you can you can pen widgets to the top so that you can say um, i want these widgets uh, to always be what you first see whenever you go into this mode you can make a widget that has three complications so you know a little bit confusing to think about complications and widgets as being something different but in this case you know complications are on the watch face widgets are from any watch face the way they, they also kind of position it as lots of people like to use a watch face that doesn't have complications. Um, so for example, photos, you know, you, you can add like maybe the, the temperature in, a, in the calendar or something, you know, but, um, and even, even beyond that, like if you wanted to use a watch face that is an analog clock, but it doesn't have, um, or you, or you think this is not, not as elegant or, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to put like eight complications on it and make it too busy. Well, you can swipe up and get the information that you're looking for consistent across every watch face. I think it's really nice. I'm, I'm using it. I've got um, the 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 like muscle memory of that being control center still. So when I'm like going to change to the audio source or mute the watch, then I'm going to widgets at first now. But then it's like, oh, there they are. Um, and then the side button is is where control center goes. They added they, in, in control center. They added a feature a couple of years ago, I think, that we talked about where you can long press within any app to access Control Center from any app. You, you can't get to widgets from any app. It's just the watch faces. But n- now that they've got the Control Center tied to the side button under the digital crown, that's people will realize that you can get to Control Center in any app without having to discover the very subtle long press the bottom thing. And it's clicky, so it's easier to do too. Uh, yeah, I the like, long press swipey thing's gone. You can't yeah. do it anymore. Right. It's just the side button. But if you do want to get to the dock, you double click the crown and you get resnap switch. Yeah, the dock's changed too, where the, the the dock, I don't think they even give it a name in settings anymore. Before you it was recent apps or your favorite apps. You could customize mm. the order. And now it's just, just recent apps. You can't fate you can't customize the order there. Uh it just feels more like an app switcher. Um, yeah the the, it, the widgets thing's really nice because also now like active sessions just get top priority on the widget stack so if you run a timer the top widget on that stack sorry the yeah on the widgets scrolling the top item is the timer widget and it just shows your current timer so, so you know good. for the, oh, many years like people been like well you want more dynamic complications um this is basically kind of that but it, your actual watch face you choose you can have just something really pretty and it static and unchanged you just swipe up and you get this more dynamic look and start yeah. to it C- complications are still going to be the things that you want to see at a glance with zero interaction mm. and a timer as if it were running i think you'd still want to see with zero interaction on any watch face but you know with a swipe up you can you can check into it and see um one thing i, I wish it let you do is if you swipe up and then lower your wrist always on mode it should stay on the widget view so like you could track the timer widget from there but it actually t- at the moment it takes you back then to it the could just face. be your watch face so that, you know yeah <laughs> maybe this should be a watch face widget watch face but i found it fascinating you cannot use the siri watch face you can get to the widgets with this you know swipe up from the bottom from any watch face except the siri watch face 
And it's not just, I guess it isn't just swipe up. It's also using the crown to push up and get to. Mm. I was surprised the Siri watch face survived, to be honest. Like when I saw this in the keynote, I was like, oh, they probably just killed off the Siri face and this is the replacement. But the Siri face yeah. still lives for now. If they replaced it with this as that, it would be cool. Like the Siri watch face also has some intelligence about it. Like um, if you have workout as a data source and you finish a workout, mm. It will show you like your heart rate recovery for a little while, like you know. And if, if there's a, a sports uh, team that you follow and they've got a game, it'll show you the upcoming game and, and keep you in um, the score after, you know during the game. So it's still some things that it does that this doesn't do. But I, I think like a long term, they should they should look to merge these two things as like the widget watch faces, the new Siri watch face. You know, just bring add in some of that intelligence to it. Uh, but yeah, I think this is this is a, a great change. The, the the fact that the home button still takes you to the app grid, like as before, they just fix the 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 um, like grid view, is great because uh, you, you've got muscle memory of like you know, you know before with with the home button on the iPhone and iPad. Um, on you know we'll talk about the headset next week, but with, with Vision Pro, you've got the digital crown takes you to your app view as well. So. It would have been weird if that was like wrap you on one thing and then uh, widgets on another thing. Um, uh, um, and I'm like, all around watchOS. So it's like it's like more playful you know, with the animations and everything without being too much in your face. Uh, yeah, the the app redesigns do punish smaller screens quite a lot. Like the messages app, for instance. Now each item of people of like conversation has a massive avatar, and so on my. 40 millimeter watch uh i can basically only fit like one row <laughs> so yeah some of these redesigns are definitely more focused on the bigger screens of like 45 millimeter or whatever but mm-hmm. it's, it's what, one. they might they might tweak some of that stuff as well yeah and like you you couldn't just say i want to upgrade from series 4 to series 10 later because you'd only gain one millimeter of space right it wouldn't yeah exactly they can't completely disavow the 41 millimeter people right um yeah. so We'll see what happens. They might like because when I saw that with the massive avatars, I was like, there must be an option just to like hide the avatars and have smaller rows. But at the moment, there's not an option. But yeah. it doesn't seem like a crazy stretch to add something like that. Tell you, tell you what, though, it was really good on the, the Apple Watch Ultra. The on the bigger watches, later. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. speaking of the Apple Watch Ultra, there's um, the on the Wayfinder face, as we mentioned before, with night mode. The way that you would get to it before was spin the crown. You go up to turn it on and down to turn it off. That's that turns the wayfinder watch face into just red and black colors well that's widgets now so what have they done they've made night mode part of the apple watch face customization um you know user interface there so at first i was like this is really bad (laughs) they buried it (laughs) you know you only had one year to enjoy being able to do this easily with a spin of a crown and now you've got to go through you know long press tap at it swipe over to the night mode panel and then use the crown to set it. Um, but then I discovered that they've added a, an, an option that isn't just on or off. They've added auto. And the way the auto night mode works on the Wayfinder watch face on the Apple Watch Ultra is it's based on ambient light sensing. So if you go Makes into sense. a dark room, it just turns the watch face to red and black. Um, I found that like if you're actually in the use case where they, they pitch night mode as, it's like you're out in the... Um, you know, under the night sky and you don't want your electronics to um, make your eyes adjust to like bright lights. You want them to stay like super dilated. So you get it in the most light possible and you can see the, the, the you know, things better in the dark. Um, then having it automatically work that way is really nice. Of course they, 
the big limitation to night mode on the Wayfinder watch face of the Apple Watch Ultra is it's just that one watch face and it's just the watch face. If you get an alert notification, it comes in in full color. If you go to Control Center or Widgets or your or App Launcher, those are all in full color. So it's just the watch face and that hasn't changed yet. They've just added it to be auto, which I think auto is like, it would have been smart all along. But yeah, it's, that's not the obvious way it should work. <laughs> yeah, but it's especially welcome as they've made night mode hard to manually get into and out of mm. because of yeah. the widgets interaction. Um, so yeah, I, I like that. It's, it's uh, uh, I just didn't really use it before, but if you have it on auto and you you know it, it, your room is dark enough. Like, if I turn on the light at night, like a, a small lamp, it's still in full color. It's pretty aggressive about needing to be, like, very dark for it to go into that mode. Um, so, pretty cool. And There's say, two new watch faces. Yeah. Change Palette, which is, like, pretty colors. And Snoopy, which is a nice face and just makes me want to wish for third-party faces more because there's a lot of creativity in the Snoopy face. Uh, but I don't actually like Snoopy, so I'm not going to use it. <laughs> what do you have against Snoopy? Well... I like it, but not like it enough to have it as my watch face, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, cycling improvements. This is all based around better connectivity to Bluetooth bike sensors. So if you are connected to a Bluetooth bike sensor, those stats will also now appear in the workout app itself, including the FPT metric, whatever that is. Cycling workouts also appear on the iPhone now as a live activity. So if you dock your iPhone um, to like the your handlebars, you can see the status of your workout on the iPhone. And if you tap on it, it's like this big full screen presentation of the workout metrics syncing from the watch, which is kind of cool. Um, if you are hiking now on the Compass app, they have a couple more waypoints for like where you last were in cellular range, where you were last were in emergency SOS range. There's a 3D Compass view now, which is kind of cool. And Apple Maps, is add- Apple Maps is adding a topographic map, including like points of interest for trails. And you can like mark out your trail before you leave and follow it along um kind of apple watch ultra focused features but nice all the same uh, and they are giving access to the high frequency motion sensors in apple watch series 8 and apple watch ultra um to allow for third-party apps to investigate and interrogate the accelerometer data at a more fine-grained level they showed the example of like swing tracking in golf or like racket movements in tennis uh so that's just like a third-party API thing. No, nothing built in to take advantage of that, at least right now. Yep. The one one thing that's you know one of the bullet point updates to watch in WatchOS 10 is that um, if you use the weather app complication on your watch face, they've added humidity as a data point that you can you can mm. set as the, on the on the as a complication. It's been in the weather app for ages now, but it just wasn't a complication, and now it is. And I immediately put it on my watch face because where I live, humidity is often a better indicator of the comfort level of going outside than temperature. Like if it's 90 degrees and 60% humidity, that will feel amazing compared to 70 degrees and 90% humidity. Uh, so <laughs> I'm really happy with that. I, I used to use Carrot Weather to do this. It was... Um, one of the, the paid options and I was just using carrot weather just for humidity as a lock screen compli- or watch face complication. Um, really couldn't justify it. Not to mention the fact that third party weather apps, you know, you've, it's really a challenge of, of keeping that information on the locks on the watch face up to date. So 
this is now from from Apple. And one thing I like about it too is that remember when, when in Series Four first came out, we talked about the gauges and the weather, the temperature gauge, which mm. changes the color based on like if it's hot, it's more toward red, orange, yellow, and if it's cooler, then you've got like green and blue. Well, humidity. I think the the range is always from green to, to blue, and so I've got my green and blue widget sixty percent, and then my um, temperature gauge eighty six percent, and that's in red. So I like the the color distinction there. It's really pretty. I we don't see the green and blue temperatures enough where I live. So yep. So WatchOS ten pretty good update overall. I'd say super happy with it. Yep. The final section here is health. This was a small little thing where they focused on two areas. One was mental health. Now you can log your mood in the mindfulness app on Apple Watch and iPhone. They have some nice little like 3D symbols of different states that you are in. You can take standardized clinical assessment questionnaires, um, which evaluate like risk of depression and some other things. And they can suggest going to see a doctor if the warning signs are there, which is nice. And then, somewhat hilariously, they had a section on vision health, which is targeting myopia, which is like short-sightedness. So one of the ways that apparently myopia develops is um, lack of access to sunlight. Uh, so one part of this is the Apple Watch will now track time in daylight. And obviously, you can if you've got your kids wearing the Apple Watch, you can get them to track that information too, and you can check that it's at reasonable levels. And then the funny part is they also now have a screen distance checker, which uses the TrueDepth camera system on iPhone or iPad to... Um, ensure that people aren't using their phone or their tablet too close to their face and making sure they're using it at a safe distance. Because if they what are, if, it's an indicator of, of what is it, nearsightedness in that case? Or yeah, the myopia situation. Yeah. 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 But, but I did find it funny because the very next section is the Vision Pro stuff, which is literally about putting a screen one inch from your face. But uh, right. and, it's and based that, around focusing, right, rather than yeah. exact distances. Yeah. yeah. Like, like when I was – I had glasses since I was two – and the indicator for my parents was that I was right in front of the television set, not because I was engaged, but because that's how I, how I would see it. Uh, and then I was a small child with the wrap-around-your-ear glasses. <laughs> uh, which, speaking of glasses, I mean, we're going to talk about Vision Pro next week, but I'm very concerned about... Not concerned about. Who cares, really? But it is, <laughs> it is on my radar of, is my prescription, it's very strong, even compatible with this, with this Vision Pro headset? Yep. Not all not all conditions can be supported by the Zeiss lenses, but we will that's, that's right. talk about that in more detail next that's week. That's a story for another day. That is a story for another day. Uh, yeah, yes, indeed. All of the OSs we talked about are in developer beta right now. Um, there are stories online to find like every day at the moment with little features we keep finding, and they'll be available in public beta in July. Yeah, distinction this year, though, is it seems like the, you don't have to pay for a developer Mm. Um, program membership for Apple, which is a hundred dollars a year to access beta. Since iOS five, I've done that. <laughs> I mean, just just to have before even nine to five Mac. You know, I was a part of the team. I was uh, or it, it, I was doing that just to have access to the betas. Um, as someone who cares, uh, you know, a lot about this stuff and likes to play with it. Uh, in this case, you can. They don't call it free. They say that you have to register a free developer account to have access to the free developer beta. So distinction there, but it's free. You don't you don't have to wait for the public beta in this case, which which is often like a version or two behind and everything. So. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's about it. Yep, yep, yep. Chance Miller was there. Yes, he 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 got he went from the the keynote video viewing experience 
directly to the headset try on experience. We got to record a podcast. Um, so he was there at the keynote. I was in town and then on the evening of the keynote, um, I got to go with chance to record, uh, an episode of nine to five Mac daily with him that we put into this feed yesterday, uh, where we talk about a few, you know, features from each of the software platforms, as well as his hands-on experience with the headset demo. So that was very cool. It was, it was a, a neat to get to go to the podcast studio and, and go to Apple Park. When I went to the Apple event in 2019, it was for services. There was nothing hands-on to see there. And it was just, it, it, not just, it was me going to the Steve Jobs Theater in and out. In this case, I got to ride on a golf cart around the circle. And then the podcast studio happens to be where the fitness, uh, like the gym is there. So that's a cool experience. Very, very, very cool. And now my voice is done. I am done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the happy hour podcast for this week. We'll be back, we'll be back next week. Ah, I need the water. Uh, if you have any feedback for the show, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 95mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ApolloZak, A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. Benjamin, you're on the internet at BZA Mayo. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.